Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Booster Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Fishing and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, a proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, the Ernie Mobile Shag from FirestormFan.com. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from AquamanShrine.net. How you doing, buddy? Can you believe we're at the penultimate issue of this series? I am shocked. I'm a little sad. I'm a little melancholy. I mean, it's. I mean, it's not. It's not. We're not over because we've got a whole lot more to do. <laughs> God, but, yes. <laughs> but this uh, incarnation of the series is about to wrap up. Good uses are penultimate, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> it is hard to believe that we've been at this for 25 months. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty staggering. When we first started, it seemed like. Getting to the, oh God, getting to the end of 26, that's so far away, and now <laughs> now I've got Vigilante staring us in the face. I thought we'd peter out by issue five. I really did. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't think we'd make it. <laughs> so, yeah, Vigilante, yeah, he's right there, isn't he? Right wow. there. Well, I guess we should just kind of get everyone to speed on the plans. For those of you who may have missed us talk about it in previous episodes, you know, we are covering the entire Who's Who 26 issue series initially. Then we're going to take one episode as sort of a fill-in, a gapper, a gapper. we're going to make our own 26th issue, 27th issue, I guess you could say, because we're going to cover um, the, the ambush bug number three. The ambush three. bug, yeah. Yep. We're also going to cover some articles from Amazing Heroes, and I've actually had some requests from people asking for those articles. Tell you what, we'll have them up on the Tumblr when it's time for, that, for those episodes. Uh, those, those kind of covered, like, all the artists that were involved and characters that they said were missing and things like that. Then from there, we go into uh, the updates, right? Yeah. We go to Who's yeah, Who Update 87. So, yeah. Yep. And then we'll, we'll work our way through all the comics, folks. <laughs> so, then we'll, the, after we get all the Who's Who comics done, including Star Trek and Legion, then we move our way to uh, the Loose Leaf, right? I, I'm sure Who's Who and the Legion will kill me. I've got an idea in the back of my head how we can make that work. Okay. Because if, you, if you've read it, it's not a straight-up... Who's who comic? No, it's not. It's different there's, than the there's stories yeah. and stuff in it. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you have a copy, by the way? I do. Okay, because I picked up like three in the last year. Yeah, <laughs> I have like three copies. I mean, of, of the almost the whole series. So I fi- keep finding them in dollar bins. So anyway, shot. yeah. Hey, now. All right, well, before we get rolling here, we need to give a shout-out to our sponsor, InStockTrades. Folks, InStockTrades.com is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got this time, buddy? Uh, As we normally do, we pick a character from this book, and in my case, uh, I'm doing Vigilante, City Lights, Prairie Justice, which is a four-issue miniseries by James Robinson, and Tony, Tony Sammons and Brett Blevins featuring covers by Mark Chiarello. It's a really great series. It's just Western superhero mystery adventure. Uh, the page count is 144. Normal price is $19.99. Instruct trades price is $9.99. This was a great series. I remember buying it off the stands when it came out, and you can't beat it as a collected edition. Just a great 
simple little story of the vigilante dispensing justice out in Hollywood. Great book. Is it um? Is it mature readers? I can't remember. Not, not really. No, I mean it was kind of you know, it, it probably no more mature than you know, like your average mystery thriller from. I'd say maybe like the 60s or something like that. So, you know, not for kids, but it didn't have like nudity or like language or anything like that. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, mine is directly related to one of the characters, or a few of the characters in here. Legion of Superheroes, The Curse, trade paperback. This collects Legion of Superheroes number 297 to 313 in annuals 2 and 3. This specifically ties into Validus. So you'll find out more when we get to that character. I don't want to say a lot more at this point. It's written by Paul Levitz, art by Keith Giffen and Larry Malstead. 544 pages. Yes. 544 pages. Now, normally when we have that kind of page count, we're talking about a showcase, right? No, not this time, folks. This is all color. All color normally goes for $29.99. Right now, I can't promise you what it's going to be tomorrow. But the time of this recording, it is 70% off right now. Wow. It is $8.99. And I'll tell you, we're recording this just a day or two before the episode goes live to give you any indication of when this price is active so check it out 899 544 color pages that's cheaper than a showcase man and it is a great storyline featuring a lot of the legion characters that are in this issue and does definitely ties into validus quite a bit even so, even 30 bucks for that many pages is a deal well 30 bucks is the normal price that's yeah. what i'm saying even if you yeah. paid normal price that's still a pretty good price let alone the in-stock trades price I have the hardcover myself, so and I'm wow. actually in the middle of it, and Who's Who spoiled a bunch of it for me. Thanks, Who's Who, <laughs> or my own fault for being so behind on my reading, I suppose. Anyway, go check out InStockTrades.com, and do me a favor, folks. When you go there, and you purchase stuff, because I know you do, I did myself recently, do me a favor, go up to their, they have like a Contact Us button or something like that, do me a favor, and drop them a note that says, hey, I just placed an order, I ordered, you know, whatever, or, or tell them what you did order or didn't, whatever, and just say, I heard about you on the Fire and Water podcast because it doesn't hurt for them to be reminded where you guys are hearing about this stuff from. You know, absolutely, it would help us. It would help us out. We'd appreciate it. All right, who's who? Uh, volume XXV for you, Roman numerally challenged. That is volume twenty-five. <whistles> Hard to believe, um, folks. The way we're going to cover this is that we're you know I say this every time. Forgive me. I'll keep it quick. We're going to run through it page by page. Most of the characters have a complete page to themselves. The forefront image is in full color. The back part of the image is going to be a single color, which is called a surprint. The back part will give you a description of the character. You'll see some of the characters in action, some of their origin. You usually will see them a close-up of their face without their mask. In this case, folks, there aren't a lot of masks in this issue. Again, kind of surprising for a superhero comic. Anyway, uh, you get their personal data. You get their height, weight. Their history, the background, their stories, etc. Now, our goal is, as we go through this, is that you don't have to have the issue in front of you, hopefully. Um, we describe them usually in such a way that you can kind of get a picture for what they look like, and uh, you can hopefully follow along. But if you really are desperate to follow along, we're going to post about 10 to 15 of these on our, well, on our Tumblr. Rob, could you tell the folks at home what our Tumblr is? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com Yep. So be sure to head, check out there, uh, head out there and check that out. Well, Rob... This one's yours. Yes. You want to take it away? This is volume XXV, as uh, you said. And if, Mian, you thought the tarantula issue was exciting, 
Wait till you get to the parade of all stars we've got lined up here. Uh, no, oh, this wait, is... wait. Actually, I'm going to interrupt you. God, before Michael Bailey gets on my case. Okay. <sighs> Sorry. Well, cover dated March 1987. But go ahead and set your uh, Wayback Machine or your TARDIS or your DeLorean, your time machine of choice, really, and head back to December 18th, 1986. So even though it says 87 on the cover, folks, December 18th, 1986. That's when you want to go back, right before Christmas. So pick one up for Christmas for yourself in 86. Okay, now you can have it back. Are you stretching this out any further? Or <laughs> anything else? Go. I'm going to remind people that December is Christmas. Yes, I think they pretty much know that. Anyway, Volume XXV features, features, a co- features a cover by uh, Kevin McGuire and Dick Giordano, which you would think could not go wrong, but you would be wrong. Uh, I think this cover goes way wrong because, and I think it's entirely due to the layout, McGuire decides to forego the whole concept of having all the characters appearing in the same physical space and just does more of a montage or kind of a collage thing. Which I just don't like. Uh, I just don't like it. So you've got, on the back, you've got Warlord, who is huge. And then right in front of him, you've got teeny tiny little Vandal Savage. Um, <laughs> floating in front of him, floating yeah. Floating in front of him. In the background is the War Wheel, which is the size of like a, si- a skyscraper. But here it looks like it's, you know, like a, like a, a round table. Uh, I just... I, you know, the characters are not really interacting because they can't because they're not on the same space. So this one to me was just a real loser for me, this cover. Um, the main, the main, the main uh, character on the front cover is the Vigilante, uh, the second one, which you really can't argue because he had his own series at that point and he was spun out of Teen Titans. So that he had that sort of Teen Titans heat going on. Um, you see Validus there on the front cover. You see the vet, what's his name? Uh, uh, the Vanquisher popping up from yep. behind the logo. The two Wildcats, uh, Warp giving a giving the fish eye to Witch Boy, which you can't blame him for. Um, yeah, so I just just the the artwork itself is fine, but just to me, I don't like the the collage aspect of it. I like them all interacting. I I agree with you mostly. First of all, I did sit there and wonder for a second because at first I thought. And someone's going to yell at me. I thought this was a Brian Ballin piece at first because the lines are so clean. I mean, they're really nice, clean lines. I'm like, is this Ballin maybe? Uh, and then I opened up and saw it was Kevin McGuire. And then I'm like, why is McGuire doing this? And then I realized they are just on the cusp of Justice League number one about to come out. So this is probably sort of an effort to sort of push Kevin McGuire out there and let people see him. You know, I know he'd done other stuff, but I mean, Justice League was about to be big news. Um, each individual art piece is beautiful. Like, really, really beautiful, each individual character. But you're right, the collage fails, which is a, such a shame. I don't hate it as much as you do, though. I don't think it's a huge miss. Um, it's just not as good as it could be. In fact, it even looks a bit like he didn't plan for the page box, the box with all the pages. Because mm-hmm. you see the war, like, Validus is covered up, and the Warlord of Okano is covered up. And it doesn't look like that's intentional. I could be wrong. Maybe they maybe they are supposed to be peeking out in such a way. Like the Vanquisher looks like he's genuinely peeking out. Yeah. yeah. The other two just look like they're covered. Yep. Yep. So, and plus, but, it just bothers me that it's not consistent with the rest of the covers because the rest of the covers they are interacting. So it just it just feels sort of slapped together to me. Which who's who should not feel like. But the unknown soldier is gorgeous. Warlord looks incredible. He looks really really pissed at his right shoulder. Individual um, drawings are great. 
Andrew but look at Warlord. Doesn't he, doesn't he look really mad at his right shoulder pad? It looks like he's about to chop Vartox's head off. Well, there's that. I just like to think he's yeah. mad at his shoulder pad. So, um, you know. White Witch is beautiful. I mean, it all looks great, but you're right. It's just they are not and interacting. He also missed a bet having, like, it would have been cool to have the Warlord and Viking Commando and Valda and the Viking Prince, like, all kind of huddled sure. together because they're all kind of the same characters, but they're not. So, or, or all set, or like having all the World War II people up against the War Wheel. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. There's, there's some, there's some mischances here. Yeah, we'll just move on. We want to say something positive. Uh, Okay. On the, in the inside front cover on letters, uh, there's <laughs> James L. James K. King takes, uh, <laughs> takes the editors to task for uh, not providing a Silver Age Superman listing, and then the editors jump in and say they basically you know, defend their decision. But I love this answer. It says your letter, James, was perhaps the most articulate complaint received about the issue. Many were emotional, almost violent. <laughs> So it's good to know that comic book fandom has gotten no better in the 30 years since this kind of stuff. You know, back in this time, they wrote violent letters. Now you write violent uh, Internet comments when, like, you know, a woman offers her opinion on comic books. So See, nothing... uh, Martin Gray and Michael Bailey's first, you know, fan letters were pretty rough, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, you know, it's kind of sad. And then um, later and then another letter, Ron Hogan says, hey, where are Sugar and Spike? And the editors basically just say, the humor characters do not fit the criteria of the series. And that made me sad. That yeah. made me sad because they I, deserve to be. I liked the first letter, actually. The first letter is interesting because it asks him about the covers, how the covers get done. Like, who decides? Because we, we've wondered some of these things ourselves. It talks about, you know, who decides how to lay out the covers. And the for the most part, it says it's the artists. But they did say that the... Um, the editors send along art, art references, and they also give them a list of right, six or seven characters who should be right. prominent, yep. which clearly that list didn't get there for the Red Tornado issue. <laughs> that got lost in the mail. So, um, But it's interesting to read that the editors did provide advice for that. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I understand DC's answer as to why they didn't do three Superman listings. Nevertheless, I think ultimately you had to do three listings. And by I think our our episode proved that because yeah. uh, Zoom Yukonori's superb Superman listing, the super Silver Age Superman listing, you really needed to do three Supermans. So but You know what I just you know what I just noticed? The copy editor's Carl Gafford, I mentioned him last time. He was the colorist on Firestorm back in yes. the eighties. Yes. I didn't notice that. Multi talented guy. So I tell you. All right. All right. So anyway, this issue proper starts with the unknown soldier, who first appeared back in Star Spangled War Stories number one fifty one, and then had his own series for many many years. Uh, I think it only was canceled in like eighty three. So this has been a couple of years since he was out of uh, out of circulation. Great drawing by Joe Kubert. Ooh, that's sort of redundant. Uh, this is one of Joe's <laughs> one of Joe's signature characters. Um, in a sort of Christ-like pose a bit, uh, which is sort of fitting for the Unknown Soldier. There's a nice big close-up of him with all the bandages on his face. And then in the background, you see all the different identities he's taken on and stuff like that. I love um, the final paragraph. It says, The soldier infiltrated Hitler's Berlin bunker as the war was ending in Europe in 1945. He, quote, helped the Fuhrer commit suicide, then left the bunker. I love the idea of the unknown soldier being involved in Hitler dying. That's just a great, it's a very inglorious bastards kind of thing before it was inglorious bastards. So, uh, this, so, you know, he was one of like DC's stalwart characters for decades, 
You know, he sort of fell out of fashion because War Comics fell out of fashion in the 80s, but he absolutely deserved his own listing, and it looks beautiful. I, uh, I actually gasped when I read that Hitler part. I was like, whoa! <laughs> now, looking at his history a little bit here, he actually premiered in 1970. I thought he premiered much earlier, but he premiered in 1970, and as you said, in Star Spangled War Stories, which I didn't realize this, but the Unknown Soldier comic picked up that number. Yes, and changed over, yeah. Yep. Kind of how so like Sergeant it, Rock took over from our army at war. They just realized like the, their their flagship character ended up you know becoming the main guy. Yeah. So I mean, he went over a hundred issues. That's wild. Wow, amazing. So I didn't know, I didn't understand the pose. Was the pose is that supposed to be representative of something? Because there's a similar pose on the cover, McGuire, but he may have just been using the reference material. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just he's. I mean, he sacrificed himself. Uh, he dies sacrificing himself, saving the life of a child. Oh, so that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just it's just meant to be that he is. I mean, the unknown soldier, of course, is is, is meant to stand in for all the soldiers that uh, that die in any war. So he's representative. He's sort of a not a I guess a martyr. That's that can be sort of a pejorative term. Not in this case, though. So I think that's just sort of what it's supposed to mean. Oh no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when I was in Washington, I saw the Tomb of the Unknowns. It was very powerful. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, never yeah I saw that. the changing yeah. of the guard, the whole thing. Yeah. Now, fair to note, he is wearing a mask, but that's kind of his shtick, the whole thing about wearing a mask. Right. He's also a master of disguise, changed his face constantly. Yep, yep. So. Good stuff, good stuff. Uh, next up is the Untouchables, a uh, gang of morts that first appeared in DC <laughs> Comics Presents number 58. This is one of those things where... If you have the bunch of loser characters and you want to make them not look like losers, get Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise, praise his, his name, name, to draw them because they look awesome. Uh, yes, this drawing is fantastic. They're, they can that one of their powers is they can like phase through things, and so you've, he's got them phasing through the serpent background, which is a great effect. Um, but you see in the in the in the uh, the the background image that they are fighting. Superman, Elongated Man, and Looker. Um, and it mentions here, um, attempting to extort money from a group of wealthy film patrons, they were captured by Looker. If you're a team of villains and you're captured by Looker, you just got to pack it in. Just, <laughs> just, give, just give it up. So, uh, th- I mean, if these guys were drawn by anybody else, I think it would they would barely even rate. But because it's they, they look so cool, they're just drawn so well. That's why it makes them even remotely acceptable. Yeah. Now I, I looked this up. I tried to look up a little bit. Like I couldn't find their second appearance. Like I don't know where Looker fought them. I assume it's probably in a Batman and the Outsiders at this point. I think it was an uh, issue of the Outsiders. Oh, Just the okay. Outsiders, yeah. I was having trouble finding that, but and I'm assuming Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. name didn't draw that. No, I don't believe so. So I figure he's probably just doing this entry as near as I could tell. Maybe so. Yeah. I mean it said it's the drawing is is awesome. It's beautiful. Yeah, I have to say, she's super hot. She is. So, I do like how they, um, and I don't mean Looker, I mean the other girl, but anyway, they um, they acknowledge that they stole their name from the TV show. That's yeah. kind of cool. <laughs> and, oh, I'm, oh, I'm glad, because at this point, the movie would have been huge. The movie was like 86, I want to say. 87. So he, this, was it 87? This is, this is before the movie, yeah. Ah. Not, not terribly long before the movie, but before the movie. Well, still. But it, one of the, the weird thing, though, is they said they, where is it, they combined the vision powers of Superman to render them intangible it doesn't really make any sense to me because they comics don't... oh because comics okay because comics. gotcha 
All right. <laughs> uh, next up is Valda, the Iron Maiden, who is uh, the sort of Red Sony character to Arax Conan. Uh, beautifully drawn by Ernie Cologne. And to me is maybe the single finest logo in all of Who's Who. Um, in terms of, as far as I know, this was created originally for Who's Who, because I, I don't think Valda ever had her own feature in Iraq. So I'm, I'm guessing that she, this was made for the book. It is beautiful. I mean, this character looks fantastic. Um, you know, I, just, I, I just love it. I mean, to me, it's like she looks like she could, you know, have her own series. She looks so dynamic. I agree completely. Completely. Now, it's, did you say it was Ernie Cologne? I don't know if yes, you said Ernie that. Cologne, okay. yep. Absolutely great drawing. I actually, just looking at her without the rest of the drawing around her, it looks like a um, Todd Nook drawing Todd Nock however you say his name okay I thought it was him at first I was like wow what he wasn't drawing back then I mean it's and that's a compliment because I love his stuff tremendously so but I Ernie had done, just knocked this one absolutely out of the park I mean we've seen some Ernie Cologne stuff that's been great we've seen some that's been cute we've seen, seen some that's been fancy but this is exciting Mm-hmm. I mean, she's got the sword held high. The wind is whipping her hair. Her costume looks very functional. You know, she's got the skulls around her and the bones and stuff. And she's kicking some ass in the background. And then she's got, like, sort of a tender moment with Arak in the back. Um, it looks great. And I don't know that there's any other character in comic book history that can claim one of their supporting characters is Charlemagne. <laughs> it's pretty good That's stuff. pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways, her origin is similar to Wonder Woman's, where... She wanted to be, you know, a champion and wasn't allowed. And then she, there was a contest and she hid in disguise and she won the contest. So she was allowed to be the champion. I mean, that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of similarities to Wonder Woman there. And she, um, what else? Oh, uh, oh, just Ernie. I was wondering why he necessarily drew it. I wasn't sure because I, I wasn't familiar with Arak at all except for the Remco ads. And uh, it turns out I didn't know this, but Ernie drew a lot of issues of yes, Arak. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yeah, it's a great. It's just, it's it. This is the kind of listing is what Who's Who is supposed to do is take a character that most people don't know and make it look super cool, and mm-hmm. make, it, make it be like, man, I got to pick that book up. This looks fantastic. So and I said yeah. that logo. I can't get enough of that logo. I mean, it really? just, it's just beautiful. I think it's nice, but I'm not. <laughs> oh like, man, I'm in love with that logo. I'm just totally in love with that logo. I'm in love with her. She's crazy hot. Yeah. Uh, th- this is going on the Tumblr, by the way, folks. Yes, absolutely. Next up is Validus. Drawn by Kurt Swan and Larry Malstedt. Now, many people don't know it. If you're not a Legion fan, guilty. Uh, he is the son of of Lightning Lad and uh, Saturn Girl, and he's been changed into this horrible kind of giant brain guy being. Uh, I never knew that. I never until I read Who's Who. I did not know that that's what he was, which is sort of you know very tragic. Well, it gets it gets worse. Um. Not only is he there, he, there's their son that, uh, if I remember right, they didn't even know existed. Wait, hold on. Uh, yeah, they didn't even know he, he, they weren't even aware of his existence. He was taken from them, altered, as you said, but then sent back in time 10 years. So they had been fighting him as a bad guy all these years and didn't know he was their son from the future. It's a little bit like Cable before Cable ever existed. Just put in perspective some of you Marvel fans. Um, and, in fact, the the birth of Validus and, and being sent back in time and everything, it is a curse. The cursed trade paperback that I mentioned in the, the top end of the show with the in-stock trades reveals this whole Validus plot. 
Okay. It's all a plot by Darkseid. Basically, it's Darkseid flipping the Legion the bird, is what this is. He is pissed because they kicked his ass in the Great Darkness Saga. And this is his punishment to them. Hmm. Isn't that horrible? Yes. Yes, it is. I and mean, you see Darkseid in the Serpent. I really wish, I, we beat this drum, I really wish Kurt Swan had not done this piece, because to me it is Dullsville. I would have loved to have seen Steve Lytle. Yeah. Steve Lytle would have just kicked the crap out of this listing because he was great at sort of like hulking brutes. And Validus to me is a pretty scary looking creature because he has mm -hmm. no eyes. He just has a giant brain and a dome for a face and then those scary jaws and the thing. And so uh, Lytle would have really killed it. But here it's just kind of like, eh, eh, <laughs> I'll play devil's advocate just because, you know, we're hitting the end of, of 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 who's who here, and I don't I don't know that Kurt got any more after this. I don't really remember if he was in the updates or not. But Kurt was, you know, drew a lot of entries in the beginning of the series. Yeah, and he's getting less and less as the series goes on. There's still a million Legion entries though, yeah. and we get lots of Legion artists. So if Kurt didn't draw this one, he still should have drawn something. Yeah, so, he drew Legion for many years. So yeah, I mean he's part so of. So I, I I can understand why they got him. Yeah. So and and Larry Malstead. Honestly, probably makes this a lot more exciting than it deserves to be. Yes, yeah, I agree so. with that. Uh, next up is Vandal Savage, uh, who first appeared in Green Lantern number oh. ten. What? Yes, I need to look at my notes faster. I'm sorry. Did you notice there's an entire line of text missing, and it's an extremely critical line of text? And where, where? it talks about? Uh, yeah, it talks about. Um, it says where the co-founders of the Legion of Superheroes, Validus was stolen at the. Blurt. Eh, Nothing. And then it goes on to Dark Side. Oh, yeah, right. Pick. Yeah, the line where it basically explains that he was stolen at birth is missing. Oh, you're so. right, yeah. And you can see there's a space where there's white where there should be text. Yeah, they, so. they, they snipped it a little too close. Yeah, oh, jeez. So, sorry, I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to go backwards. I just, I'm, I'm trying to keep up with my notes here. And I should also mention, if you want more on Validus, please visit the Legion of Super Bloggers. What happens when you leave Brenda Pope out? This is this is the problem you get. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Carl Gafford was you know dropping the ball here. Cut and paste. You know, it was tough in the old days when you actually had to paste this stuff up. Anyway, this is, a, this is a pretty big retcon. I mean, I don't know how big of a thing retcons really were at this point in comics, but this is a major retcon, really, if you think about it. So, because Valdus had been around forever. I mean, it's not like he was a new character. Right. So. Anyway, okay. Yeah. Now Can on. We to move Amazon. on to Val. Sure. Well, I mean, so you know, he's been waiting. He's been waiting three hours. He's, he's been waiting a million years. He can wait a couple more seconds. Yeah, until he gets another listing in a couple of months from now, for God's sakes. <laughs> uh, Vandal Savage, who first appeared in Green Lantern number ten, which was something I didn't know. I never really knew where he first appeared. He was just one of these DC films that was always around. Um, he's immortal. He's drawn here by Den Dennis Cowan and Greg Brooks. It's a killer piece. Uh, he is. Uh, his to me, his main claim to fame, uh, for me at the time was he was the villain in the world's greatest superhero newspaper strip. Where he, <laughs> he, he took on the Justice League, um, and he ends up getting uh, karate chopped in the neck by Aquaman, which is awesome. Uh, there's no mention of that storyline here, so I'm going to assume that any of that stuff is not continuity. You know, there's not karate chopped in the neck by Aquaman. Yeah, that's not that's not continuity. Yeah, no, no. So, uh, but anyway, he's he's an immortal guy. I, to me, his best use outside of the newspaper strip was in Kingdom Come. Uh, I loved his using. Of course, this is many years before that, but uh, he was always a pretty cool character. I mean, because of his immortal status, you could he could 
pop up to tick on anybody, of course, because, you know, he's just always around. So, And there's a, a lot of history. I mean, you could see, for somebody who's immortal, he's going to have a lot of history. Well, up, up to this point, he'd only appeared in about 12 or, or a dozen or so stories. Now, that's more than 12 issues, because a lot of them were like two or three sto- issue arcs. But I looked into it, because I was wondering how many times that he had appeared. But it was only about a dozen stories. Uh, and at this point, he, they're gearing him up to appear in Flash number one. The Wally West series. So he's actually about to become a pretty major player in the DC universe. Up to this point, he was just kind of a guy who would show up to fight the JSA, really. And he, his, if you saw him here, guys, well, you probably will. He's probably going to the Tumblr. He's a tiny dude. I mean, he's he's not the Vandal Savage you're used to. He's only five foot ten and 176 pounds. The Vandal Savage we got to know, you know, a little bit after post crisis, is a massive hulking dude. You know, he's super tall, he's super wide, he's, he's got the Neanderthal, uh, you know, savagery and such. And um, this is this guy's looks like a skinny little aristocrat. So it's interesting how much he changed. So, And I looked up the Dennis Cohen thing, and this appears to be the only time he ever really drew him. So. Hmm. That's probably one of those random ones. And they had yeah. to give somebody some work, and they yeah. had nobody really to give. By the way, this, this issue represents a pretty good who's who drinking game. Take a drink for every character that's carrying a sword in this issue. <laughs> I, I wonder which would get you drunk first, swords or no masks? I'm gonna find, yeah, that's true. But it's, it's, I, I noticed that there's a lot of swords in this issue for some particular reason. you get got characters carrying swords you wouldn't expect. Like Vandal Savage has got a sword here. So we're up to two swords so far in this issue. All right. Well, my, my probably favorite Vandal Savage sort of stuff is probably from the Justice League cartoons. He was good in that, too. Yeah, yeah. In fact, guess what he used in a, in a Justice League cartoon? The War Wheel. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome! I gotta go back and I've, I've been re, I've been going back and rewatching those shows. I forgot mm-hmm. how good that show was. It's damn good. Yeah. and it even gets better when it gets to Unlimited. Yeah, that's what I started with. Was Unlimited oh, okay. with season three? I'm like, I gotta go back. Uh, well, if you want to see the Vandal Savage, you gotta go back to Justice League. Oh, okay, all right. Next up is Vanquisher from Blue Devil. <laughs> uh, now, explain to me how. The first Vanquisher can have appeared first appeared in a comic that was published before, before after the comic featuring the second Vanquisher because there's no way that Blue Devil number twelve was published after. But wait a minute, hold on. There's no way the Blue Devil number twelve appeared before Warlord forty two. Warlord forty two must have been published before Blue Devil. So it how, has to be because at this point Warlord's on 115. Right. So how can you have number? How can you have the first Vanquisher appear in a comic that was published later than a comic that featured the second version of the character? Well, we saw that happen with another character a couple issues ago, where okay. the second version appeared before a Blackhawk villain appeared. The second version appeared before the first version. Um, you know, I don't know. I until we read this issue tonight, <clears throat> meaning like 20 minutes before the show started. Um, <laughs> I didn't know there was a second Vanquisher. I was like, what the hell? And I actually went over to my stack of Warlord comics I've recently acquired. And, you know, I've got like probably 60 or 70 Warlord comics now out of the 130-ish. And uh, I don't have this issue. (laughs) So I'm like, shit. Uh, I don't know what the deal is with this. You know who we need? We need Professor Alan Middleton. That's who we need. Because sooner or later, he's going to launch a Warlord podcast or blog. I mean, just the fates have decreed it. So he could probably tell us what really happened. Because I, I don't know. I'm honestly confused. Because Warlord, because number, Warlord number 42 is cover dated February 1981. 
And Blue Devil, <laughs> Blue Devil number, what is it, number 12? Yeah. Let's see. Let's 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 rob Google stuff as he I'm talks. doing some Googling too. We'll do uh, some Google foo as they say. Yeah. Um that came out I mean that sure as hell didn't come out in nineteen eighty one because that book didn't start till later. So uh that got that It blue... came out in eighty one. Right. War... When, when the Warlord comic came out. Right. That's what I said. Blue Devil. Oh, I'm sorry, okay. Yeah. Blue Devil number twelve came out in May of nineteen eighty five. So I <laughs> I, now, well, I guess. Okay, I, well, now, I guess, okay, okay. Here, okay. Here's how it works. Okay. He he appeared in OMAC. He appeared in the backup script in OMAC. Which means he's in the future. Which he's in the future. So I guess they so, retro. So the Vanquisher and Blue Devil would have taken place first. Right. right. So historically, but what I, what's confusing me is I didn't even know there was another Vanquisher. Right. <laughs> I was like, what? I wonder if. Why don't you tell him a little about the character while I see if Michigan and Cone Cone wrote this. Um, this this warlord back up. Well, he's publicity minded film producer Jock Werner volunteered his chauffeur Van Venucci for an experimental hypnotic treatment. When Venucci said the name of his greatest hero, Errol Flynn, mental barriers were dropped and his body would temporarily function at peak of human perfection. In addition, special effects expert James Jesse C. Trickster was paid to design a powerful costume for Hollywood's newest <laughs> hero at large, Werner's Vanquisher. I, I didn't mean for you to read it. <laughs> well, what else do I have to say about this guy? Just tell him about it. It's a guy who he was a chauffeur, and they put him in a costume. He was going to be their new, like you know, corporate guy for Werner Brothers. But the the costume and the powers drove him nuts, and so he got all crazy and thought he was like you know super duper man kind of nuts stuff running around saving women and just really didn't he lost kind of lost touch with reality and they had to bring him down he was a nice enough guy it's funny his his shazam word was errol flynn <laughs> which was great so I, I did the quick research here sure enough the original the the, not the the first vanquisher to appear chronologically was in the omex story it was created by dan michigan and gary cone uh-huh. so when they go to do Blue Devil, they brought in the same type of character, just with a different ID. So it, I was just confused. I'm like, they didn't rip that character off. That's their character. Well, it is their character, but they created two of them. Yeah. So the the one in the one in Blue Devil, he he was around for months as just the chauffeur, just like antagonizing Dan, and then eventually he became the the Vanquisher character. And it was, I mean, it's fun stuff. It's Blue Devil, so you know you know it's fun. So now uh, Greg Larock drawing it. Um, that was kind of unusual, and really, there, there's no particular reason for him to have drawn the character, as far as I know. Yeah, it's Greg LaRocque and Greg Brooks. Greg Brooks doing two pieces in a row. Um, but uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's fine. It just, just didn't really have, uh, this, this just didn't do much for me. I was just like, but, eh, okay. We should probably describe him. I mean, he's got, you know, orange tights, but a red bodysuit, uh, big red muscles, and huge gloves. I mean, he's giant, crazy muscles. His tunic is a giant V for yeah. Vanquisher. So, and so yeah. it was on his belt buckle. So, I mean, he's—it was a fun sort of goof, almost on Shazam, you know, because it's well, sure he's saying a name out loud right. and transforming. Yeah, <laughs> it's Errol Flynn. Oh, oh, my bad. Greg LaRock drew the Omac story. Aha! Uh-huh. There we go. All right. Okay. Google foo. All right. <laughs> uh, next up is Sean Connery as Vartox. <laughs> Uh, drawn by Kurt Swan and Brett Breeding. Vartox I, thought is, Bert, I thought that was Burt Reynolds. Now it's, no, well, I'm, the reason I'm saying it's Sean Connery is because he is, costume-wise, it is a total rip of Sean Connery's uh, revealing outfit in Zardoz. You're right. Which is one of the more infamous <laughs> costumes of all time. Um, so, yeah, this is Vartox. This is 
I mean, what's there to say about this guy? I mean, it's just he's he's from an alien planet. He's got these superpowers. All right, fine. I'll talk about him. He is the sad sack of the of the Superman family. This poor guy. If you read his Who's Who entry, I mean, just life kept crapping on him. You know, the love of his life was it turns out to be a criminal. Then, oh gosh, what else happens? It, like his planet gets blown up. Then he becomes the hero of another planet. And it turns out they're just parasitically using him. I mean, just life just keeps throwing him stink bombs. The poor guy. Just one after another after another. And then it's funny because it goes on here. Very Silver age It goes on to say he's he, – every time he reappears, he's got new powers. Too many to list here. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just so Silver age When life throws you lemons, you wear hip boots. That's what everybody knows. <laughs> oh, poor Vartox. Poor Vartox. But, I mean, Chris Vaughn does a very nice job with what he's got here. I mean, the 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 girl he's snuggling up with is beautiful. Um, she looks like she's got a little bit of O face going, but you know he's he's oh, Lord. Well, he's blowing out like an asteroid or something that's going to crash, and all the people are worshiping him. I mean, the art looks solid. It's just the design is insane. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You sound very upset about this. I just, I, I, I you know what it is. I'm, I myself, am tired of sort of crapping on Kurt Swan, but I, every one of these listings to me, they're just so boring. They're just yeah. so boring. So yeah. I, I feel kind of bad because the guy's a legendary figure, and I know Earth 2 Chris is, like, gnashing his teeth at me and, like, declaring I'll never come over to play with his toys or whatever. But I just can't – I don't know. I just I, – every one of these listings, I'm like, I wish somebody else had drawn this, you know? You know, you know what would have been better? If it's, if it's boring, they should have got Wayne boring. <laughs> that would have been much better. That would have been great. <laughs> Speaking of boring, next up is the vegan system, or vegan system. I guess vegan system would be nobody's eating any animals. So it's the <laughs> vegan system. The art is by Todd Klein. This is the basically the homeworld of the Omega Men, because the Omega Men deserved another listing. And uh, we, so it gives you the whole, the whole universe here. Um, it's a nice drawing, but it's pretty dull. I mean, it's a whole universe that Todd Klein had to draw. So, you know. It wasn't the easiest thing in the world to pull off and make it look uh, compelling. And it mentions Earth, the Scion homeworld, the spider control nest, the whole, basically all the different settings from the Omega Men. Well, it's it's a drawing done by a guy who does logos. Right. So, uh, but he did a fine job with it. It's interesting that the planet listing is a different font than the listing itself. Um, and, you know, I applaud his efforts. And, and probably the biggest takeaway from this is thank God it wasn't two pages. <laughs> yeah. That that's kind of that was literally my reaction when I saw. It. I was, oh, thank God, it's only one page. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Enough. With, the, enough with the Omega Men already. We're not Omega Men fans, folks. <laughs> I mean, so. I am, but it just uh, like they don't need this. I I don't believe the Omega Men's system needed their own page. I, I just. Go ahead. No, go ahead. We're stepping all over each other here tonight. It, it should probably step back for a moment and say yes. This issue has a lot of morts in it and and not the best listings. However, it's a great snapshot of a lot of minor characters in the DC universe. And that's fun because who's who fairly soon after this is never going to be like this again. Because all the updates, they boil it down to the characters that are either trying to sell or critically need updates. Right. And then the, the loose leaf, they only promoted characters that they were selling really at yeah. that point. Yeah. So this is one of our last chances to revel in worthless characters so i plan to revel in it okay 
All right, next up, here, finally getting to some good stuff. The Vigilante, drawn by Gray Morrow. I love this character. I always have. I always thought he was super cool looking. I just like, because he's kind of got like a shadow thing going on with the kerchief over his face. I love Gray Morrow. So this is like a perfect combination. Gray Morrow was somebody who didn't particularly like superheroes. So I think this is, this is like something he could really sink his teeth into. And he actually drew a Vigilante feature in World's Finest in the 70s, which is why they got him to do it. Got him to do it. He's been around for a long time. He first appeared in Action Comics number 42. He doesn't have any particular powers. He's just sort of a, you know, sharpshooter, brave adventure guy. Um, he had a sidekick named Stuff. A great <laughs> name. Um, one of the things that's curious here is that it does not mention that there are two vigilantes that are the cowboy hero. Because there is an Earth-1 version that appeared in Justice League. That basically only made one appearance and was never referred to or seen again. Uh, but he does exist. He In the issue of Justice League number 78, where the JLA gets their satellite headquarters, that issue features the vigilante. And it is not the vigilante from the Seven Soldiers of Victory who was trapped in a whole other dimension who they rescue in JLA number 100. It's a different vigilante entirely. But there's no mention of him here. And I think it's probably one of those stories they're just like kind of burying... Like, oh, yeah, no, no, that, that guy didn't. Have, no, I mean, they can't bury it, couldn't bury it too much because it, it was such a storyline for the JLA because that's where they get their satellite headquarters. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I think they were just like, no, 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 that he never appeared there because there, there's one vigilante. Well, was it no, – I, I don't – I've probably read it at some point. I just don't remember it. But did they – um. Do they make a very purposeful thing to say this is not the same vigilante from Earth 2? Or was it more like, whoops, they probably made a mistake saying he's on Earth 1 when he's really an Earth 2 guy? I don't remember them making any mention. It's just like, oh, hey, there's a vigilante. And that's it. Okay. And, but, but then later they rescue the vigilante and they say, hey, you, along with the other seven trolls of victory, have been trapped in this other dimension sure. for all these decades. Did, did they, but the, did the vigilante in the, the headquarter issue, did he look like this? Yeah. Then it's just a continuity goof. The writer screwed up. Then is what yeah. it sounds like, yeah. or the, or the later writer screwed up by having him trapped in a dimension, and they just sweep it under the rug with post crisis. Yeah, there you go. So you so. just say it was the same guy. I guess you or, could. I mean, I yeah. I mean, admit Lynn Lynn Ween, who wrote the later sequence, clearly forgot that issue or just chose to ignore it. Just was they like Aquaman right. in it. No, it didn't. It, it was no. a Denny. It was a, it was a Denny O'Neill Justice League, and Denny O'Neill just like never used Aquaman in his issues of Justice well, League for some reason. Well, that's where I was going. Was you know, um, I knew Denny ignored Aquaman, so yes, he did. Uh, the only question about this vigilante piece is, I'm not exactly sure what is going on with Vigilante's left arm and how he's grabbing that gun. I don't know about the anatomy of that in terms of how his arm is twisted, but it doesn't matter. It's such a beautiful piece. Gray Morrow was such a great artist. Uh, that I love it. And the, the art is nice and big. And it just looks cool. It's, it's one of my favorite listings in the book. It totally works. Does it? The hand, I'm turning my hand that way right now. The handle's facing front, right. which is a weird way to weigh your, to weigh your guns, but I guess that's how right, Vigilante did it. but his thumb is like pointing. All right. Maybe so. It just looks weird to me. A yeah. um, couple things to note. He is wearing a mask. One of the few ones. Yes. His, his profession, I never knew this. He was a professional country singer. Yeah, we see him in the background singing the lone country song. That's awesome. I mean, for a character back then, that is that is a very respectable, reasonable job. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, it's kind of funny. It's like Garth Brooks is a superhero. <laughs> and then, uh, I never thought about this before, but his name is Greg Sanders. How on earth did Roy Thomas not relate him to Speed Sanders and Sierra Sanders? 
How did that not happen? Hmm. Yeah, that's probably, a good point. Yeah. Probably did at some point. But and then I I'd forgotten that stuff was murdered. You yes. know by who? The dummy. The one the things from Rob's nightmares. That's yes, right. That's right. And uh then he got another one called Stuff Junior. Stuff Junior. <laughs> Cracks me up. Cool stuff. Yeah, I always I said I always cool thought Cool stuff. Uh-huh. Yes, you know. He thought was, I said I always thought he was a really cool character. I always liked him. So another character made great in Justice League Unlimited. Yes, they did yeah, they did a lot of good stuff with him. Uh, next up is Vigilante 2, I guess. Uh, the one from the Teen Titans, the marquee character, and near here he gets two full pages, despite the fact have only, have only, he had only been around uh, four years at this point. Uh, so, but they, and you pretty much get every single iteration of his history in these two pages. Um, he had his own series. This was one of those characters that, like, is great in to me it was great in theory but never in execution no pun intended because he was meant <laughs> to be like a death wish kind of guy and when he got his own series which was a baxter like direct sales only series the ads were very different very unusual um they had like real newspaper headlines about murders and crime and you really felt like oh man this guy's gonna kind of be like this you know he's really gonna like take it to the streets but he ended up being mostly a superhero because the comics code just was was not going to allow that level of violence. Now, who the hell can everybody do, do whatever you want? But back then, you know, it was like the Punisher. You know, I mean, it's like, oh yeah, he murders people. Eh, let's have him take on guys who can electrocute people. Um, it to me, it wasn't until Paul Coverberg took over the book that it just he sort of took the book to its logical extreme, where things just went nuts. And they were just killing left and right. And you see some of that here because you see at one point the, the second vigilante, this is or actually vigilante three, <laughs> bites it on the, from the, on the hand by the hands of uh, the peacemaker. And you see that here. You see the peacemaker shoot vigilante. Mm-hmm. And it was just those were just crazy issues because it, it felt like Paul was writing each issue with no plan for the next issue. And it was just like, let me see what fix I can get myself into at the end of each issue, and I'll write my way out of it in the next one. And it, it had a really what-the-hell feel to it, which I really thought was was fun. Well, it reads like he, he definitely, we, there was, as you said, the third Vigilante. So there were a lot of versions of Vigilante in the series from what I've read here, because I've never read the comic itself. I mean, it sounds like, uh, as you said towards the end, they just they kept pushing the character Adrian harder and harder and harder, yeah. like things in his life spiraling out of control to, the, to a breaking point. And if I understand right, in his final issue, there was a significant breaking point, right? He kills himself. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Spoiler, 30 years late. Because um, it only went 50 issues. So really, at this point, issue 38 should have been on the stands about this time. That's right. So we're, on, we're only about a year from him swallowing a gun at this point. Yep. Um, just, oof. Now, if you look at this, and, and I'm Diablo Frank and I had a, either had a conversation about this or, or he, he was reading about it or something. Anyway... He really is the Punisher, though, because if you read his origin, yep. his family's murdered by the mob. Right. You know, so he, he's very much the Punisher. DC, good, you know, hats off to DC for going trying this first because they beat Marvel to the punch by two years because Marvel's Punisher first miniseries, like Mike Zeck drawn covers and stuff, didn't come out till '86, and this started in '84. So they beat D- Marvel to the punch by two years. Well, but the Punisher but, was around. Yeah, but he wasn't a character in his own series. No, no, he wasn't. He was a yeah. He appeared in Spider-Man. And in fact, after his first few appearances, he wasn't treated very well in comics either. I mean, right. a lot of his appearances were really bad. So, um, so hats off to DC for doing that. But uh, I, 
I always heard mixed things about the series. You know, obviously DC had a lot of faith in it. I mean, a two-page spread here. He's got the cover position. They they friggin' were shoving it down people's throats all the time. I mean, was it that they were trying to make it sell, or it was selling that well? Do you have any idea? I don't. I mean, he he sprang from New Teen Titans, so I'm sure he had a, a decent lift to him because he just had that. Teen Titans was their best-selling book, and yeah. it was drawn, initially written by Marv Wolfman, so it had all that Teen Titans, you know, sort of heat to it. Hmm. Yeah. I, obviously, they had a lot of faith in it by giving him his own Baxter series right out of the gate, although you could say that they did the same thing for Thriller, and that didn't work out too well. So. <laughs> And the Wanderers, we're going to talk about in a bit too. Oh God! <laughs> so, and, and you know they brought Vigilante back not too long ago, and Marvel Wolfman was drawing it okay. or writing it. Writing so. it, that's right. Yeah. Uh, next up is the Viking Commando <laughs> from, <laughs> from All Out War number one. Here, draw, drawn by Carl Kiesel. Uh, it's a nice drawing. This is really one of the more goofier concepts uh, up there with uh, the weird, um, the you know, creature commandos and whatnot. Or and GI robot, but uh, you know he was basically a Viking that uh, you know fights in the modern World War Two or uh, at the time modern World War Two. So that's what else do you need to know? <laughs> I I had to do a little research on it because I just had to know it when he first appeared because I was like, is this a forties thing or no? It's a nineteen seventy nine appearance right. is when he first appeared. So it's very much like Creature Commandos, who was about nineteen eighty, I want to say. So it's right about the same time. All Out War only went six issues, and then he appeared in two issues of Unknown Soldiers. So really, he was only in about eight comics altogether before this. I love the look, though. It it reminds me of, like, remember the, the Incredible Hulk TV movies? And they brought yeah, the Thor. Thor, yeah. It reminds me of Thor, who, the same actor who played Thor went on to be on um, Good Luck Charlie as the dad, which is sort of crazy. But And... I'm reading this again. I've got. I guess I've got Roy Thomas on the brain. Um, there's a. There's a, a. I guess she's a romantic interest, but there's a girl mentioned in here named Maggie Haywood, who is a war correspondent for Life Magazine. So again, my brain goes to Roy Thomas. How did she not get retconned into being like Hank Haywood's, you know, uh, or whoever Commander Steele was? Because he was Haywood was his yeah, last name. That's right. In World War II. How did the, she not get retconned to be his sister or something? You know, <laughs> how did that not happen? <laughs> He's only one man. He can only retcon so much. <laughs> yeah, no, a, a fun, goofy concept. Mm-hmm. Um, next up, if you like your Vikings, uh, more on the... More <laughs> if you on like the, Viking Commando, you'll love you'll Viking love Prince. You'll love the Viking Prince, who first appeared in The Brave and the Bold number one. Here is, yes, historic. Here he is, drawn by Joe Kubert. Once again, doing there, another wonderful piece of the... And, and oh, by the way, I didn't mention, another sword. Uh, we're gonna oh, yeah. sword character. Take a drink. Take a drink. Uh, so now this character is not someone out of time. This is all his adventures took place in the time that the Vikings existed. So, uh, but I have never read any of them. But boy, the, I've seen little bits and pieces of the art, and they are beautiful. They are yeah. really beautiful looking stuff. And I really should go back and get one of those Brave and the Bold collections or something because this this drawing is really really gorgeous and it just sounds really fun now there was at one point the viking prince did get revived during world war ii when he teamed up with sergeant rock <laughs> which is just fantastic well he was frozen in a block of ice right is what they said and that's how he got to world war ii so i guess it's, it's sort of like a revolving door in that block of ice you know, yeah. he comes out and you know steve rogers goes in you know kind of thing now um it is cute because both Viking Prince and Viking Commando fought in World War II then. It would be nice if they had teamed up at some point. But anyway. How could we possibly lose to Hitler 
with when we had the Viking Prince and the Viking Commando. We are, <laughs> our, 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 our victory was guaranteed. And the Unknown Soldier. And the so, Unknown Soldier. And Sergeant Rock. Plus the Justice exactly. Society. And the Blackhawks. And the Blackhawks. So, um... The, the entry is sort of hard to read because they give ver- four distinct versions of the Viking prince's origin. They even talk about one legend, blah, 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 blah. Another legend, blah, 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 blah. And it just goes on and off. And like by the end, yet another head, legend. Right. By the end, my head was sort of swirling like, what the hell? Where did, were these all stories from the issues or are these all like legitimate myths that they've adapted for this? I, I just don't know. But. Interesting. And, and, you know, I looked it up. He appeared in the first 24 issues of Brave and the Bold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, pretty good. Pretty good. When, yeah, that, that, when did Brave that, and the Bold start? Like, the 50s? Yeah. The, the, okay. mid, the, like, mid to late 50s. And then it was not at all a superhero title, I think, until Justice League appeared in it. 28? Yeah, yeah. it's in 28, so. And you know what? He, five, six, eight. yeah, okay. He got bumped for Suicide Squad then. Right, because Suicide Squad is Brave and Bold 25, I believe. Yeah, so yeah. it was him for 24 issues, then then Suicide Squad, and then Justice League. Yeah. Pfft, look at that. Yeah. Interesting. Next up is Vermin of Vundabar, drawn <laughs> from the New Gods, drawn by Jack Kirby and Steve Rude, which is probably like the best possible combination imaginable. Cause Steve oh, Rude, I didn't know that explains so much. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Steve Rude uh, is one of those guys who can channel Kirby without copying it. And he did the Mr. Miracle special around this time where he was, again, he was clearly referencing and doing this, this, the spirit of Jack Kirby's work, but not copying it either. And so having him ink Kirby here is, is perfect. I mean, this guy looks like a little Hitler type guy. He's, although it's funny, he looks like he's tiny. From the drawing, and yet his height is 6'2". Uh, but the, the drawing doesn't seem to reflect that. The drawing doesn't look like that's somebody who is 6'2". And then we see him actually... Um, that's d- wrong. It, it, it must be, because we see him standing there in front of Big he's Barda. Tiny. And he's, even under, power, under Powers and Weapons, he even says he's a good hand-to-hand combatant, but is handicapped by his small size. Yeah, so he they, maybe that's supposed to be 5'2". Not maybe 4-2, maybe. 4-2. I love that it says marital status, presumed single. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's an asshole. He must be presumed. So, and he's just kind of kind of got that Nazi look. You know, he's got the jack boots and the monocle and, you know, the, the kind of guy that would say things like, we have ways of making you talk, you know, that kind of thing. Well, they say that he based his lifestyle on leader, military leaders of Prussia in the 19th century Earth. Right. Which is interesting. So. Yeah. This, I'm glad you pointed out. I did not notice that Steve Rude was the anchor. Um, I just assumed it was Thigston or somebody when I saw Kirby. And looking at the drawing, I had made a note for myself how beautiful the inking was. And that Big Barda is so smoking hot in that little picture up there. Just, I was like, whoosh, I feel the heat coming off the page. But now that I know it's Steve Rude, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, good drawing. I wish Steve Rude had a chance to do more of these Kirby. I mean, I like Mike Royer. And I like Greg Theakston when they do Kirby, but Steve Rude is really gives it just like a nice, real crispness. And, you know, at this point, Jack Kirby's work was getting a little sloppy. Uh, you know, it feels terrible to say that about the man, but it was. And I feel like Rude sort of tightens it up a little and just gives it a nice little sheen that really made it look beautiful. And the background, has got all these, it said that, as Shag mentioned, there's Big Barda, there's Mr. Miracle. Um, and it's got that sort of angular panel structure that Kirby was doing for all the new God pieces. So it, it's, a, it's a handsome piece. 
and, and I like what you noted. Um, I didn't even notice this, but but it's subconsciously there. Is that by putting all the panels around him, they made the character very small in the middle. Yeah. And it really reemphasizes how tiny he is. So yeah, yeah. that's really good. Yeah, he clearly, he clearly is not six two. Uh, <laughs> next up is the vixen from the Justice League, whose first appearance is Action Comics number five twenty one. Now this is always funny Bullshit. to me. Yeah, right. I was about to say that. It's always funny to me about how they count these things because Vixen did technically first appear in ads for her own series in 1978 that it ran in other DC comics, but was never published due to the implosion. But she is there. Like, so it's like, I guess, you know, uh, I guess if you're uh, Bob Overstreet, you worry about this stuff. But like, does it count as a first appearance if she's not technically in a story? But the ad, but she's in an ad, so I mean, like, is she there? I don't know, you know, so I guess they're saying that doesn't count, even though, you know, she's there with a logo, a name, an image, and everything. Um, her original costume was a light blue and yellow kind of mix, and she that's what she's wearing in her quote-unquote true first appearance, which is Action Comics 521, and then later they converted her into this costume, which is the one she's most people are familiar with from um, her appearances in Justice League Detroit. Yeah, I figured something in the Serpent would show that original mask. Like, she wore a mask at first. Yep. Another character, no mask. Um, I figured they would show that. And if I remember right, Frank would have to verify this. I want to say there was, like, that costume that appeared, number one, never exactly reappeared. Like, what she was seen later in was an alteration. So, yep. like, there's, there's a version of her costume that never really made it. Maybe that's the ad. I don't remember. But it's a very nice piece. I mean, Luke McDonald was drawing Justice League at the time. You know, he was going to be drawing Suicide Squad, which is where she was heading uh, at this point. So, it, it, he did – I mean, sometimes, sometimes I feel like Luke McDonald's art's rough. I don't want to say sloppy because it's not sloppy, but it's just rough. This is, this is beautiful. She's, she's a beautiful woman. The, maybe Bob Smith helped tighten the line work. I don't know, but it's a, it's a great, great drawing. It's, you got the eagle and the lion in the background. You got her, her running. You know, she's got her hanging out with Gypsy. It's a and then the fashion model stuff. It's a really, really well put together piece. Yeah, I'm, I think the pose is a little on the boring side, but they do get into the fact that she was a model, so it is a little bit of a modely pose as opposed to it was like a superheroy pose. Oh, wait a minute. You know what's missing? Her tattoo totem. The totem. Yeah, the thing that gives her the powers. It's nowhere to be seen. Nope. nope. Maybe her uncle's got it at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, that's Vixen. The Vixen. I always think she's called Vixen, but here she's the Vixen. Uh, next is Viking the Black. <laughs> if you like Viking friends and you like uh, Viking Commando, you're yeah, going to love Viking the Black. Yeah, yeah. Uh, drawn by Jack Kirby and Carl Kiesel. Uh, yeah. Uh, sometimes, you know, Jack Kirby could be a little on the nose. Uh, um, this is what he first appeared in the forever people. I never, I, this is one of those listings that I just was like, what the, what is the, who, what is this guy? <laughs> you know, like, um, he certainly looks very friendly and he's got his little, uh, lunchbox of justice with him. So <laughs> it's good. You know, but he said he possesses magna power, which enables him to project magnetic energy. He can also mentally trace atomic patterns is therefore good at tracking. I didn't even get that far. When I Which was is something that Vixen could do. Oddly enough, <laughs> Vixen was good at tracking as well. So these two could get together. Jeez. Um, I, I would say the most important thing about the Viking the Black entry 
is that it heralds the end of the forever people in this volume of Hoot <laughs> And that this he was trapped. This is no more after this? There's no more. There's no more after this. Okay. And then according to – God, I hope I'm not wrong. Uh, and then according to the, the text here, it says that you know they were trapped on Adon forever, and I wish it had stayed that way. So <laughs> – yeah. Someday I'm going to read the Forever People, and I'm probably going to be like, "I was wrong. These guys are awesome." Because I mean, it's Kirby. I'm bound to love it. I just boring. Yeah. Yeah. No. Speaking of, uh, next up is <laughs> the Wanderers. <laughs> I'm sorry. This drawing looks like it was yanked out of an RPG source book uh, for a uh, like you know some some game system published by an independent comic book company and dropped into DC comics. This just, it's drawn by Mike Clark and Pablo Marcus. These guys look like a serious bunch of losers. Uh, the head guy even has a pose of kind of like, what, what sort of body pose. This is, I just, no, just no. Although take a drink. Cause the guy's got a sword. All right, anytime you want to stop crapping all over this issue of Who's Who, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I said I mean, something nice about the vigilante. Th- the worst thing is, you're absolutely right. Yeah. This is such a disappointment. <laughs> now, Michael, his name's Mike Clark, is the guy who did it. Prior to this, apparently he worked on All-Star Squadron quite a bit, but I don't remember him drawing All-Star Squadron. Maybe he was like, I don't know, the letterer or something. I think, he did, the, I think he did some of the later issues. Yeah, he did. He drew a bunch of them, 47 to 60 almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You're right. When you said independent comic thing, I mean, you nailed it, dude. This looks like right out of something out of the 50 cent bin that you, like, have never heard of, like, a publisher. You're like, who's, who's, you know, that publisher? And who are these characters? Who are the protectors? Anyway, that was for Frank. But it's so sad because even the, even the editorial staff of Who's Who clearly didn't care about this entry because they made a major mistake. Um, the the heads on the left hand side, mm-hmm. they got two of them flip flopped. <laughs> I didn't they, know they, that. They got. It took me a while to figure it out too, just because I don't I don't know these characters really at all. But they talk about one's a sword wielding guy, and one guy carries like a dart thing, and they mislabeled <laughs> them both. So Elvo and Darthog are the labels are swapped. Oh wait, Loser Two is named Loser Three in the picture. <laughs> Hey, there's a sword. Take a drink. Um, now, I looked up before this. They had only five or so appearances prior to this. Um, and they did get, in 1988, not too long after this, they got a 13, they got a, well, I I don't think it was a 13-issue miniseries. I imagine it was ongoing. And it, look, it appears to be new format. And the covers are pretty cool looking for the Wanderers, but I don't think anyone ever cared. I don't think any comic shops ordered any either because it's not something I've ever seen in like a 50-cent bin or 25-cent bin. Like, uh, I've never seen any Wanderers. So clearly, sadly, nobody cared. Yeah, this is just this is awful. This, this looks like back when there was like a booth rotation when like Eclipse Comics tried to do superheroes. And yep. Eclipse Comics, like, I loved Eclipse Comics because they published lots of stuff that I enjoyed. But their heart was not in superheroes. It just wasn't. But I think they did it because they kind of felt like they had to. And so, to me, all their superheroes were pretty lame. 
creation. This is what this feels like. It's sort of like, yeah, okay, we, you know, okay, but let's have like a bird guy and then a guy, okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it, it does sort of fit the uh, the trope of, you know, like when you're making a team, like, okay, we need one animal person, one sword person, one metal power person, one, you know, one energy person, you know, all the different categories. One squad uh, bald guy, everybody loves that in their team, so. Uh, if, if you want more information on the Wanderers, sooner or later we'll probably put something on the Legion of Super Bloggers. I don't know. Uh, Did they get their own listing in, in the Legion? Who's who in Legion? Which means we'll be covering them again. Or better yet, maybe all seven of them got their own pages. We'll oh, find out. Oh God! <laughs> oh, I look forward. Getting, to... I don't know. I don't. I haven't read them yet. I've been oh, waiting boy, for us I'm to do it live. To covering know. Elvo in greater detail. <laughs> Make God. sure you get the right one though, because they're yeah. mixed up. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, okay. Next up, Warlock of. How do you pronounce this? You crap. Is or crap. is? Oh, okay. Now you're the one. Now okay. Warlock of, I'm going to say Warlock of Yiz, uh, drawn, okay. by, drawn by Gil Kane. He's a Green Lantern villain, versus being Green Lantern number 42. I love this drawing. His costume is majorly goofy. Uh, <laughs> so it's kind of hard to take him seriously, but I do love the artwork. He has kind of, he's got red skin, so he's got like a little Satan-y kind of look. And in the Serpent, he's got Carol Ferris in one hand, a Green Lantern in the other. He's a he's you know like a super magician evil guy and uh, he looks he looks really cool. It mentions he has great sorceress sorceress powers. The full extent of which is not known. He re- he relied entirely on these in battle. Now, did you say warlord or warlock? Oh, I meant to say I I'm, I probably did say warlord warlock warlock. Yeah. What's interesting is on the cover he's just listed as warlock, hmm. which is kind of strange. Um, this character, he looks doofy. Now, Gil Kane did a very fine job with it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really one of the, Gil Kane's really nicer ones in Who's Who. The line works beautiful. The character looks doofy as hell, though. And he really, he seems to me like he's, he's less of a Green Lantern villain, more of a Zatanna villain. Mm-hmm. But he, you're right, he did appear in Green Lantern first. And now, Yiz, whatever that is, Y-S, that's actually a, a thing. That's not just made up for the comics. It's a mythical city that was built on the coast of Brittany and was later swallowed by the ocean. Um, so it's actually like a lot. And I could, I could kind of tell by reading the who's who entry, there's like so much stuff, paragraphs of stuff before you get to anything comic booky. So you're like, clearly this is based on some real mythology here. And sure enough, it is. I had to do some research on it, but yeah, it's, it's based on some real mythology and um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done. <laughs> God, you know, I gave this speech about reveling in this issue and everything, but this is, this I promise is. this entry goes blow by blow. The guy only had like three appearances up to this point. It's ugh. they're they're really trying to fill pages, is what they're trying to do at this point. This is this is tough. This is a tough issue. He 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 was at best a half page entry. There, it, it, we talked about this. All we right. talked about this. Yeah, we talked about this last episode where they expanded the series from twenty four to twenty six issues. And I don't think – I think they just kind of said, oh, we could fill it. Well, yeah, you could fill that if you'd made the decision back when you were on A. Right. You know, if you make the decision when you're on M, yeah, not so All of much. a sudden, right? Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't have time. We didn't have space for Gotham City and Metropolis, but we have space for the vegan star system. Well, that – actually, that one I would say is worth it because of Omega Man. Warlord of Is? No. <laughs> Anyway, next up is who? Next up is War- Warlord, who I yes. think really should have been the marquee character. 
of the book. I mean, he had his own series for a long time. It was a big seller. Uh, here he's drawn by his creator, Mike Grell. Um, you know, I, to me, he is the, the big character of the, of the book. But I guess DC felt there. I mean, he had his own toy, for Pete's sakes. Yeah, but by this point, they're, they're about a year away from cancellation. Is it that soon? Was it Warlord that soon? Okay. I think it was in the 130s. I could be wrong. I could be off base. But they're already on 115 at this okay. point. So I got I to gotta think he wasn't selling what he was before, whereas okay. Vigilante was. Yeah, that's, now, yeah, I guess so. They could have given Warlord two pages rather than giving Warlord a, mm. Warlock of Yiz a full page. Then yeah. maybe Mike Grohl wouldn't have drawn him so skinny. Yeah, I mean, it is a relatively boring pose for an action character is kind of a dull pose and the, there's a lot of stuff going on in the serpent we see him with the sword again another sword character take a drink uh we see <laughs> demos and then we see a nice little row of portraits of all the supporting characters which i thought was a very elegant way of getting everybody in there without making it look too crowded because you see warlord and uh what's the guy with the the machiste and uh, the, the girl who's the real the, the Shakira Shakira hips don't lie and I mean it's it's all that kind of stuff so it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's, a, it's like in terms of the space that Mike Girl had to work with he did a really good job yeah but I I think based on the way this issue goes that he should have got two pages I didn't realize that Warlord's first appearance was in a first issue special yes it was so I went online tonight I'm like you know what I I've got a bunch of Warlord but I don't have early issues so I started looking online. Holy crap, they're kind of expensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of, so you know what else is really expensive right now? Check it. Early issues of Firestorm. They shot up in price because of Flash. I guess, okay, well, I thought it was because of us. Well, I mean, I meant, that's what I meant to say. Okay. I, I stuttered. That's all. Okay. <laughs> Do you have all those Firestorms original or they have them all? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, I thought maybe you had, I don't know. I I can't tell you how many copies of number two I own. <laughs> the first okay. one with multi, first one with multiplex. Every time I see it in a fifty cent bin, I just can't leave it there. It's like an orphan. I feel so bad. I'm like you, I, I I debate with myself: should I leave it here so that it finds a good home? And up until the flash, I'm like, realistically, it's never leaving this box. It's going home with me. <laughs> next up is uh, <laughs> next up is Warlords of Okara. Uh, who the hell cares? Uh, their first appearance is in Tales of the New Teen Titans number four. All right, this is not a four and a half hour episode of you know the the, the holidays or the DC sampler. We can give it more effort than that. I I, you know, I just can't. It's so hard for me. These characters, these are guys. These these are another another group of Omega Men characters. Even though they did first appear in the New Teen Titans, because they're all part of the whole Starfire sort of coriander mythology thing here, uh, the this one of the one of the warlords of Okara is carrying a sword. So take a drink. <laughs> so um, in the Serpent, we see them. We see them uh, taking on some of the Omega Men, and uh, you know, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about the warlords of Okara. Yeah, I don't care. You can go on the next yeah. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> like how I lectured you and then... Yeah, that. exactly. All right. Oh, boy. Next up is Warp from the New Teen Titans. Again, from the New Teen Titans. This time joined by George Perez. Uh, very cool guy. I love... Very unique costume. Uh, he's in this giant sort of... I don't know what you'd call that. It's just It looks like a diving bell um, kind of like helmet, except the, the fa- his face is co- uh, not covered. Um, I guess you might imagine he has the powers to zip across 
like warps, like uh, the wormholes in space and stuff like that. Plus, he can fly. We see him knocking Cyborg into another dimension, and it's a really, I don't know if it's meant to be funny, but it's very funny because you just see the bottom half of Cyborg <laughs> being knocked into a portal. <laughs> There's just something very comedic about it. And then in all the serpents... The, uh, the little wiggle lines by his feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in all the serpents, you see the you see Warp zipping in and out of these little wormholes that he's creating. So it's a very nice show. There's, not, there's very little uh, history, so there's a lot of room for the art. And uh, it's, a, it's a really handsome piece. Yeah, I mean, Perez does a very nice job using the space. You know, he, he does his typical, you know, there's a lot of black on the page. You see sort of what looks like a rain sort of area where it's raining. And then each one of the places he's zipping to and from is different. You know, one's light, one's dark, one's forest, one's city. You know, so it's very cleverly done. The helmet's very weird. It's it's always, it's never sat well with me. It's got to kill his peripheral vision. It, uh, like, do you, do, this is a really horrible analogy, but do, do you remember the movie Lost in Space? Yeah. Do you remember when Dr. Smith was turned into that giant monster and he wore, like, a cowl? I do not remember that at all. Okay. It's sort of like that cowl. It's Again, that's a horrible analogy, but that's the best I can come up with. Because it's, it's, like, it's a very unique helmet. Like, no one in comics has one like it. Yeah. Not even Scavengers is like this. So. Yeah. But um, I think it's worth mentioning, you know, congratulations to, to Warp, the uh, 2012 champion in the Portal, um, con- PlayStation Portal Olympics. So good for him. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. There's a game called Portal. Okay. Where you uh, you 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 shoot a port. You you open a portal at one spot, then you open a portal in another spot, and it allows you to walk from one that portal to the other one. So you get in and out of locked rooms and stuff that way. It's very clever. It's a really neat game, and uh, he he'd be really good at it. Okay. Fair it's enough. even better when you have to explain the joke. It is, as Johnny Carson always said, if you have to explain the joke. It's not funny. <laughs> Next up is the War Wheel, which Woo! is one of the few like pieces of I don't know. It's not a it's not a vehicle, but it's not a yes. well. I guess it is. I mean, but I mean, well, okay. It, it's sort of unique among Who's Who listings in that it's it's kind of a place, but it's also a vehicle, and it's sort of a bad guy too in its own way. Yep. Uh, it first appeared in way long ago in Blackhawk number sixty eight, and it is basically just a giant metal spiked armored wheel that just rolls through the countryside and shoots at people and destroys stuff. Uh, and I mean, it is mean and nasty looking and in the surf print, which is actually in the foreground, we see Blackhawk shooting at it. Um, it's a really fun, ridiculous concept. I mean, you know, you just needed somebody just to sort of like knock it over and then, uh, but, uh, but, but until you could do that, um, it would cause a lot of destruction. So it was cool. And, it, and the war wheel was eventually quote unquote defeated as much as you can defeat any non sentient object. And it is uh, now part of the Blackhawk museum on Blackhawks Island. It's a really tall museum. It's a very tall museum. <laughs> you got a lot of money. It is so badass. I love this thing. What was, um, what was it sky captain in the world of tomorrow? Is that what it was called? Yes. Like I, this is something you would see them fight in that kind of movie. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it would look awesome in CGI. Cause it would be, you know, like as big as one of those guys in Pacific rim, you know, just rolling through the towns of little villages of Europe, smashing it. Like, you know, like, it's just great. And that thing where black Hawks in the front, in front of the serpent, or where he's the serpent, but he's in front of the wheel and he's shooting is genius. Like they could have colored that. Mm-hmm. And it just would have been okay. But by making it part of the serpent, it makes the wheel pop that much more. Yep. Yep. I mean, artistically, yep. brilliant choice. The artist by I, Dan Spiegel, I didn't say that. It should have. Yeah. He was great. He was drawing Blackhawk at the time. 
And I don't know if Spiegel had intended for that to be like that with the Serpent. He probably didn't. He probably just drew it and let them color it however the hell they wanted. But, uh, oh, man, looks so good. Yeah. Now, it's um, fair to say, besides the Blackhawks, the Task Force X, or Suicide Squad, did fight the War Wheel, apparently. And uh, as I already mentioned, it appears in Justice League Unlimited. Or Justice League. I'm sorry, the cartoon. And, you know, I want to say, didn't Doctor Doom have something like this, too? I don't know. Well, it would have been after this, so he would have been ripping yeah. it off. But yeah. it's just, I love, love, love this entry. At one point, the uh, the war wheel disappeared, and it says the Blackhawks did find out how the war wheel vanished. It was lifted by a group of dirigibles. Awesome. <laughs> I love that idea that, where the hell is this thing? We just can't find it. Oh, maybe it's all those dirigibles carrying the, like... the 500-ton giant metal wheel of death in the sky. I mean, if you count the windows in that house, it's smashing. That house is, you know, three stories high, so yeah. that's 30 feet high at least. Yeah. So this thing's got to be 15 stories high, yeah. <laughs> you know? What's that, 150 right. feet tall, and it just disappears? These, these, these lists, unlike Omega Men, which kind of make me almost regret how much I like that book, uh, these Blackhawk listings make me want to go back and read old Blackhawk comics. They really yeah. do. They, they, just, they just seem so much like so much fun. Uh, next up is, uh, ironically enough, a place that would be under threat by the war wheel. This is Wayne Foundation, <laughs> drawn by Terry Austin. This was the brief point in the 70s where Batman forego Wayne Manor for, uh, I'm not using that in the right tense. He gave up Wayne Manor, and the bat came underneath it, and moved into a penthouse on top of Wayne Foundation, and he actually had a new bat cave underneath this building. Yeah. Um, well, not actually not under this building, adjacent to it. I mean, he could get to it through a tunnel. Uh, the 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 architecture of this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I'm sure it's probably based on a real building, but basically, it's a giant square. But all the the center has been hollowed out, and there's a giant tree in the center, and on top of it is Bruce's bachelor pad, which which looks precarious because. <laughs> Like, it does look like sort of like someone just took a, a wooden piece of plywood and set yeah, it on top he of that does thing. Not, there is not a lot of room there on uh, around Bruce's bachelor pad before you could just fall off to your death. <laughs> but uh, but it's yeah. This this was it was Robin had gone off to college, and so Batman was by himself, and he just thought, oh, what the hell? I'll just I'll move in. And there was a there's a great. I remember the cover to the issue of Batman where it's got uh, he's he's walking out of the Batcave. It's by Neil Adams. And he's telling Alfred, seal up the Batcave, Alfred, forever. And poor Alfred's, like, wiping away a tear. And it turns out it's because he's moving into Wayne Foundation. So it's uh, this was, you know, something that didn't last all that long, although they did they, ha- they have used it here and there. But uh, it was a nice, you know, nice little moment in the history of Batman where he wasn't in the Batcave. Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, they, they've used it a lot of places, actually. They, they, a lot of people like to bring it back from a nostalgia point of view. It was in one of the movies. Um, the third movie or the second? The second movie. Wayne, Bruce Wayne was living in the penthouse in the second movie. That's right. Because oh. Wayne Manor had been destroyed. So that was kind of cool. I didn't realize, I mean, it makes perfect sense, but I never thought it through. The tree's fake. I had I read it in the entry. They said it's an artificial tree. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it makes perfect sense because it would not get any sun if no, it were right. real. But I just, in my mind, it was a real tree. <laughs> um... What else? I, got? I have a lot to talk about with this, actually. It's interesting how it talks about how um, he thought Alfred was killed, and so he created the Alfred Foundation, and then they built the building, and they changed it to Wayne Foundation, I guess, is 
I'm not sure what at what point the foundation was created versus the building. I'm not sure which. But either way, this image, and I'm I'm going to rely heavily on one of the uh, you know hopefully one of the readers or listeners of the show. I don't think this was done for who's who. I think this is an old stock art piece. I think it. Um, I've seen this a bunch. I think it appeared in. Oh boy, I'm gonna get mad at myself. I don't remember. I think it appeared in one of the treasuries. Mm, okay, so that means it's definitely before yeah. this. Because I remember seeing it. I want to say in one of the early um, Mayfair Games Batman source books, which would have predated this. Probably this is eighty late eighty six, so it probably predated this. So yeah, I think I think this is an old piece. No. I mean, it's a nice Terry Austin piece. Um, the tree, you mentioned here, there's a, a bat cave adjacent. What he does is there's a tube going down the middle of the artificial tree that he slides like down a pneumatic tube and whoosh, goes down into the, uh, into the thing. I like the accreditation here. Instead of first appearance, it says first established because it's a Wayne Foundation. Right. So that's kind of cool because it's not just about the building. It's about the foundation itself because the Lucius Fox takes over the running the foundation, which is cool. And then it talks about in here how Poison Ivy almost uh, – you know, legally gain control of it, which is kind of cool. So, yeah. Did um, did Superman go to WGBS first? Wh- who who made the change first with uh, WG? I always kind of see whenever I think of the seventies of Batman and Superman trying to make them quote unquote modern. I always think of Clark Kent going to WGBS, and I always think of Batman going to the Wayne Foundation. Which happened first? That's a good question. I don't know. I feel like Batman was first, but I, I just don't know enough about that era of Superman. So I'm probably wrong, but yeah, they were pretty close to one another. Pretty I close. Think so. Early seventies. I, I think it was their effort to modernize both. Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, next up is the weasel. Weasels rip my flesh, and first appeared in Fury of Firestorm. <laughs> what did you just say? You've never heard of that album, Weasels Rip My Flesh? No. It's, it's, okay, well, look things up, Shag. It's it's a real album. Um, Fury of Firestorm number thirty eight. Uh, it is drawn by Joe Brozowski and Dennis Jenke. Jenke? I don't know how you say that. Um, what is confusing to me is that, you know, despite the art credits, that got the, 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 the portrait in the upper right, that's a Kurt Swan face. That's a Kurt Swan face. So I don't know why. I, I feel like Kurt Swan must have drawn that. I don't know. It's very confused. But anyway, this is, this is a Firestorm villain. Um... The weasel has no superpowers, but he is highly agile and is a fierce and formidable hand-to-hand combatant. So I guess, is this a Jerry Conway creation? Or is was Jerry not writing the book anymore by number 38? Oh, it, it's, it was Jerry. Okay. Um, but he was he was winding down. Okay. He didn't know he was winding down, but he was winding down. He didn't He didn't leave Firestorm of his, of his own. Oh, I see. Okay. Necessarily. So was um, there ever like a weasel hyena team-up? No, um, it, it, I even remember at the time because I mean I was reading Firestorm at this point. I've been reading it for about two or three years, and I, I even remember the time thinking this was a poor man's hyena. Um, <laughs> nice it really implications and, of that statement. <laughs> and he's, you know, what's interesting is under powers and weapons, they don't mention specifically that he's wearing a costume. I mean, the whole thing's a costume. It's not like he transforms into the weasel like the hyena does. He he's basically a guy who a schlub who felt dejected by his friends in college, and now he's taking his revenge upon them. So, while I didn't care much for him as a physical combatant, the element that I enjoyed in the Firestorm issues with him is that it was a good mystery to figure out why the weasel was after Professor Stein. So that was sort of interesting. 
Um, but the the character Weasel himself, I just didn't care. Now he died in Suicide Squad, as per usual with uh, Ostrander <laughs> writing Austin, writing and killing all previous Firestorm villains, and then he came back as one of the earliest uh, Blackest Night Black Lanterns, actually. So did he really? Yeah. Technically, wow. this counts as a mask too, by the way. Okay. <laughs> wow. Uh, he's, he's a bit of a Firestorm mort. Oh, I will say it. Okay. I will say it. <laughs> he's no Slipknot, that's for sure. Next, <laughs> up, next up is the Weather Wizard, one of the classic Flash villains. Uh, one of the, you know, uh, he was transferred to live action uh, twice, I think. Uh, uh, well, I had to do some research on this. Explain your thought, and then I'll tell you. Actually, wait a minute. No, three times. Oh, wait. Okay. You you tell, and then I'll tell you where we both made the same okay, mistake. Okay, because he was played by Jeff Altman on the Legends of the Superheroes live-action <laughs> special in 1978. Okay. And then in the Justice League pilot, the Unsold Justice League pilot, Miguel Ferrer plays, like, the Weather Master or something. And he's That's cool. where we were both wrong. Yes, he does okay. not play the Weather Wizard. No, he but he's the pretty, Weather Man. Okay, but he's... Pretty much that character. The, the power set's there, but the character's right. not. The character's okay. different. Very okay. different. All right. Okay, fair enough. But I, then, I did the same thing as you. I had down. He he, but he appeared in the pilot of Flash and Justice League. I was like, wait a minute. But then right. I, go ahead. Right. And then didn't he appear? He appeared in the 1990 Flash TV show, I think. I seem to remember that he did. Oh, I don't know about that. that. Okay. okay. Um, now has, has he been in the new show yet? He was in the pilot episode. He was? Yeah. I have no memory of that, and I saw that episode. Remember there was the big tornado and everything? Oh, that's right. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah that's, that's why I don't yeah, watch it. That. that just leaves my brain immediately. I so, forgot about Legend of the Superpowers, but yeah. I, I definitely knew about Justice League, and I thought he was the Weather Wizard until I did my research. Um, I knew about Flash. I did not realize the Legend of Superpowers. Super, yep. Superheroes. That's funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's drawn by Carmine Infantino and Murphy Anderson. So you've got the double whammy of hands on hips, standing straight ahead, <laughs> plus the little booties, which everyone knows I love. So, uh, yeah, that's that's your weather wizard guy. What is that weird design element in the back that's like a, just a almost almost like a backwards Z, like half a one or yeah, something? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just supposed to draw your eye from the shot of him without his mask to Batman pasting him one and then down to him fighting Flash. But it's sort of, sort of awkwardly put in there. Yeah, it's interesting because like normally – people read in a Z formation. It's almost like they're trying to tell you, well, you got to read this one the other way. Mm-hmm. Well, he, uh, it says in here that he sort of turned a new leaf and helped Blue Devil, which I don't even remember. So I'm going to have to find that. It must be an issue with Trickster or something. I, I really don't remember that at all. So, and uh, he's wearing a mask. And if you want more information on Weather Wizard, check out the, the Speed Force blog and also the Flash podcast. Yeah. Uh, next up is The Whip. Which is uh, an old guy. He first appeared in Flash Comics number one. Uh, he is your typical kind of Zorro, you know, old timey pulp character. Uh, he doesn't have any superpowers, although he's just a superb hand to hand combatant. And as you might imagine, he's pretty good with the whip. Uh, here he's drawn by Mike Gustavich. Uh, it's a good, it's not a bad piece. Mike Gustavich was kind of like, eh. But uh, I like his costume, he looks kind of cool. Uh, and he's one of these guys that, uh, you know, like, I could see him being done again, maybe in, you know, might be kind of neat. Uh, he, he, he ended up joining up with the All-Star Squadron. Uh, and there's not much to say about him, because after that, he's not know what happened to him after 1944. 
I think this drawing is completely badass. Oh my. I am in love with this drawing. I think it looks absolutely great. I love the dark shadows, like the, the darkness of the character, uh, the, the shadow work. I think it looks awesome. I think he's a cool, cool-ass looking character. I did a little research. He's wearing a mask, by the way. Um, did a little research on it because I was wondering, okay, this guy created, it came out, like you said, the early 1940s, Flash Comics number one. I, any idea how many issues he may have appeared in? One, two, whatever. Uh, I'm going to guess. I'm just just off the top of my head by the way you're asking. Like I'm going to have like like ten or eleven. Yeah, I'm baiting you, aren't I? Yeah. Fifty-five. Ooh, okay. A lot Holy of stories about it. Fifty-five issues with him. So also, I wanted because the first thing that came to my mind too was Zorro. So I was thinking, okay, who was actually first, Zorro or the Whip? Oh, Zorro was first. Zoro was first. Zoro was created apparently in 1919. So he's not yeah. as old as I I thought Zoro might have been like an 1800s creation. But apparently he's he's published in 1919. I love this thing. I clearly it is a Zoro ripoff. I mean there's no doubt about it. But who cares? It's yeah. it's gorgeous. Yeah. I love it. They've done a million different iterations of this character over the years. Um in fact, this one starts off as he's not even the first whip. He's picked up the legend from somebody else, which is which almost implies if you read it, it almost sounds like the Zorro legend where Zorro picks up for the previous Zorro. I mean, it talks about a 19th century guy, and it really just reads like Zorro all over the place. But I, I love me some Zorro. I'm a huge Zorro fan. Hmm. Do, you ever read, do you ever read the uh, Dom? I think it was Dom McGregor, I think was the writer, when Zorro was at Tops. No, I did not read that. Great comic. Hmm. So good. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, he's neat looking. I mean, he said it's Indiana Jones made like using a whip kind of cool again. So mm. uh, there'd be there, you know, you could dig out this guy again, do something with him if you wanted to. I mean, they they dug out El Diablo and all these other characters. So you know, why not the whip? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, next up is White Witch, drawn by Mike DiCarlo and Larry Malstedt. So this is one of the members of the Legion. Shag, take it away. You take a little nap, aren't you? Yes, uh, she is actually, I, for me, she's most famous as being Dream Girl's sister. So Dream Girl, you know, it has these prophetic powers, or everyone on her planet does, except for the White Witch. She does not have the future-seeing powers. Everyone else on the planet does. You know, it should be fine, but the problem is it's caused tremendous psychological damage, being the only one on her planet that can't, you know, sort of perform. So she ends up leaving and going to what's called Sorcerer's World and training in the mystical arts to become a wizard. And so she learns a lot of spells and stuff, and she bumps into the Legion once in a while and eventually joins the Legion. Probably the, the well, first of all, it's, it's drawn by Mike DiCarlo and Larry Malstad, so you, you know it's got some nice art there. It's got a cool little logo with the way the W's are done. But I would say that the most interesting thing about the piece, besides the fact that she's hot, I mean, she is Dream Girl's sister, so, I mean, you know that's coming, but um, it's only in three colors. It's in yes. black. Black, which is obvious, which for ink, but then the blue serpent, and then almost like a pink serpent as well, because the, the blue serpent is in the back, and then she's, she's all white, hence White Witch, white skin, everything, and then she's using her powers, which are sort of a pink glow. So it's a neat, neat effect the way they did the coloring on that one. Yeah, the serpent, the, the color hold used on her, the energy coming from her hands is, is a nice effect. Is that Zipatone maybe? Or just the dots really far apart? I, no, I think that's, I think it's probably the Duotone board. I think that's that effect, that chemical effect I've mentioned before. Well, she's got her hands raised above her head, which sort of accents her chest, quite honestly. Sorry, it's true. Then in the serpent, you've got her sort of casting a spell. Looks like she's maybe growing a plant. She's, uh... Then Mordru's coming behind her and destroying the plant she grew. That's what that is. Wow. 
Then you see her in front of the Legion headquarters back-to-back with her sister. And then you see her sort of in action with Invisible Kid, uh, the second one. And then uh, is that Lightning Lass and Ultra Boy. So pretty cool stuff. Pretty good stuff. Next up is... I can't believe you just totally seceded that entry to me. Yeah, why not? You you took the weasel, but you gave up on White Witch. (laughs) Uh, I'm a conundrum. Uh, Next up is Wildcat. The original Wildcat from Sensation Comics number one, drawn by Erwin Hazen, who was his original artist. Erwin Hazen, uh, one of my former instructors at the Kubert School. Uh, the Wild Wildcat was just a really tough guy, a boxer. Uh, he really kind of got like a second life in many ways when they used him on Batman Brave and the Bold, where they got him to be voice acted by er- Arlie Ermey, who was the uh, Joel instructor on in Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> Which was like the Interesting. absolutely okay. perfect casting. Uh, this was always like a fun character. He, Ted Grant, he was just he doesn't have any superpowers. He's just a tough guy. Um, but they've sort of used him over the years as like the sage old uh, member of the JL, JSA that dispenses advice. I mean, he once did a story where he talked about the reason that you know Justice Society members shouldn't have kids is because it's such a dangerous line of work and all that. He he's he's a character that doesn't have like a whole lot going on, but yet uh, I think there's writers have found interesting ways to make him cool and interesting. And for a time, he was like a big seller because he was like teaming up with Batman and Brave and the Bold like every fourth issue in the seventies. Mm. Uh, so yeah, and that's uh, it was nice that they dug that they but uh, they dug up Irwin. That's a terrible thing to say. Um, that they that they got Irwin back, who had really not done any DC work for decades, to do this drawing because he said he was one of the co-creators of the character, and so that was a very nice thing for them to do. Uh, yeah, he drew tons. I had to look him up. He drew tons of the issues of Sensational Comics. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I'll just put it out there. It's a great. I'm glad they dug him up. Or now I'm saying. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad they brought him in for it. It's not the most dynamic model oh, no, piece for 1986. Pretty, slop, pretty sloppy artwork. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But you know what? If he was drawing the character in the 40s, you know, just you give the guy the slack. Now I would say you said um, Brave and the Bold gave him second life. I would say, you know, certainly in pop culture it did, but I, for the mainstream. But I would say it was it was just after post crisis when the Justice League came or Justice Society came back. Wild thing. Or wild thing, Wildcat became a thing. I mean, he he was appearing all over the place. You know, Bo Smith was writing him. There was like a a series of miniseries, like Wildcat Batman, Wildcat Catwoman, and he was being put out there as basically the guy who trained everybody in the right, DC universe right. how to fight. He was everyone's you know instructor on how to fight. He they they developed a backstory for him. That one where he said he shouldn't have kids. Do you remember if that was more recent or if that was a long time ago? Well, that was in – it's at least mentioned in, um, oh, God, Secret Origins number 50 by Alan Brenner. There's okay. That, they cover that yeah. angle. So, But I don't know if he was the first one ever to do it. Well, at some point along the lines – and I can't remember when it was, and I'm sure somebody who's listening does. Uh, and by the way, when you guys call us out on our mistakes, do understand we're doing these marathon recordings at like three hours and ideas come up in the middle of our discussion. So we don't – there's a reason we get stuff wrong. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't remember where it was. But they appear they, – they introduced that he was married and that his son – he had a son that was kidnapped by a supervillain that he never saw again. And you know, at one That's point – It is dark. 
and it was it was he was kidnapped by the wasp or the black wasp or golden wasp whatever the guy's name was and then later on when you meet the new wasp or black wasp killer wasp i think is what he was called at that point you sort of are thinking it's probably wildcat's son like maybe the wasp raised his son wildcat's son and turned him into a villain but i don't know that, whether that was ever confirmed or denied but it sort of backs up that statement where wildcat says superheroes should never have kids yeah, and I don't know if that was all tied together or purposeful or what, but oof, really read this entry till now. What what a kick-ass origin this is! I mean, he he was you know in a, he was boxing his best buddy that he came up with. You know, it was a fixed fight. He didn't know it. His buddy gets poisoned because they were trying to make his buddy take the fall, but it ended up killing him. He gets blamed for the murder. I mean, it's really cool stuff. And the reason why he becomes a superhero, really, I didn't know. I had no idea until this moment he had had a sidekick at one point. I didn't know that. No, I didn't either. Had a sidekick? You gotta be kidding me. So. What a trip. So uh, I love this character. You know, I, I remember like when it, when Jeff Johns really did some great stuff with him in JSA. I can't remember one time like he's, he's in the JSA headquarters by himself. And he's got a he's either a broken arm or broken leg. I can't remember which. And he's like taking a bubble bath and he's on the phone flirting with Selena Kyle. I mean, it's, it's hilarious. And then somebody like a group of supervillains break in and he has to fight them off by himself with like a broken limb. <laughs> It's it's awesome. I mean, he's such a great guy. Now they did hint he had a superpower at one point, which I wasn't a big fan of. They said that he had um, nine lives, um, in, in, I think it was in a Grant Morrison comic, actually. Yeah, and no, not yeah, exactly. Not a fan of that. Not a fan of that. But love this character. I love the way they developed him into a total old man badass mm-hmm. over the years. So love him. Yeah. Uh, next up is Wildcat Two. Yolanda Electric, M- Electric Boogaloo. Electric Boogaloo. Uh, direct, uh, direct. As a star. Uh, oh God, I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> Yolanda Montez was introduced in Crisis of Inf- Infinite Earths because the original Wildcat had gotten crippled by a bolt of lightning. And it seems like he was going to retire because that's what bolt of lightnings do. They just cripple you as opposed to crispy frying you. So she, she took on... <laughs> She took on the identity of Wildcat and was appeared in Infinity Inc. And I really think that was like their efforts to sort of, you know, create a legacy character. And it just didn't really take. It just didn't really take. And eventually the original Wildcat came back. And I think this character has just been lost to the ages now. It was drawn by Tom McFarlane, uh, but inked by Jerry Ordway. So at least you got that. It was a diversity effort, too, because she was female and Hispanic. Right. So they were really shooting for that. Um, I, I, you can say yuck if you want. I think it's sexy. I, I like it. Um, I like McFarlane in the 80s, though, and I love Ordway, so I think she's hot. I always. I love Ordway, hot. as you well know. I would rather look at a thousand Kurt Swan drawings than uh, Todd McFarlane. I know you I know you don't care for him. Uh, interesting stuff here. Th- I, I did a little research. Well, some of it I already knew. Like, she, she died. You say she was lost. She actually died. She was killed in an issue of Eclipso. Her and a bunch of other sort of never-rans, I guess is the way to put them, uh, were gathered together as a team and sent down to South America to stop Eclipso, and he slaughtered all of them, (laughs) Uh, including her. And then later on, in in actually a a much better story, her cousin gets involved with the Justice Society and decides to, you know, sort of take avenge for his his cousin and actually steals Eclipso's power. And for a short while, he's sort of almost like a pseudo-heroic Eclipso. It's sort of an interesting story. It was a Jeff Johns tale. Now, here's the thing that I found the most interesting. I was doing some research on this. She appeared 
well, a version of her appeared on a very early Infinity Inc. promo poster. Like, I think before the series even launched. I had no idea. Hmm. And apparently, Roy and Dan Thomas originally did intend to create a Canadian superhero called The Lynx for, um, for, the, for, the, for the All-Star Squad. Or, no, I'm sorry, for Infinity, Infinity Inc. And then the promotional material for Infinity Inc. Di- um, here it goes. It says later in the promotional material for a new the new Infinity Inc. series appearing in All Star Squadron number twenty eight, there is a Catwoman like figure riding on a motorcycle or, for, or what's called a cat cycle, and um, she was going to be called Lagaro, which I don't I don't know what the, does that mean the cat I don't or the Lynx maybe because Gato was cat but anyway, yeah. um, she never appeared in any adventures. However, her look is. Other than her costume was like a lighter color, uh, it's like it's like sort of a tan. Other than that, she is Wildcat too. Hmm. So it's kind of interesting that the character had been planned for a while and took him a while to get her out. So yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Uh, next up is uh, Wildfire from the Legion of Superheroes, one of the bigger characters from the Legion of Superheroes, drawn by Dave Cockrum. Uh, looks very cool. Dave Cockrum had not drawn the Legion for a long while at this point, so I guess they got him to come back. Is I guess he co-created Wildfire. I don't know, but I'm I do sure, know that sure he designed he, the costume. Yes, he, he designed Cockrum many design. of the Legion costumes, and yeah. he is an amazing costume designer. Yeah, and Wildfire is just energy mm-hmm. inside a costume, and so he can like blow himself up and just reform. And there, I remember I actually read an issue of Legion Superheroes where he gets super angry about something, and he just goes bursts, <laughs> <laughs> and then reforms later on. So. <laughs> Those damn kids with their stereos and their music. I just get off my lap. Poof. It's <laughs> great. That's it was such a great visual hook for this character. <laughs> um, he was always sort of like a hothead from the ones I've read. Like I read, I I reviewed the um the two uh, Legion of Superhero uh, Treasury editions for the Legion Superblogger site, and the second one is an all new story. And Wildfire is always squaring off against Superboy. He's always like, getting in Superboy's grill about, you know, not running the team the way he wants to or not going on the mission that he wants to go on. So he's sort of, you know, he's the classic hothead character. And it's it's interesting that you have to convey a lot of emotion with this guy considering you don't see his face. It's just yeah. this, this visor down in front of it. So it's, it's got to be kind of hard, too, because you don't, you don't have any of those things to rely upon to convey what he's trying to say to you. Boy, he's a fan favorite. Man, the Legion fans love him so much. So he had a big long romance with Dawnstar too, uh, worth mentioning. How? I don't know. I guess love transcends. Um, and you know, he he was made up of anti energy, which would cause nuclear reactions. So I always kind of I realized he came first, but I always thought of him as like the firestorm of the 30th century. So you know, it's, that was kind of always my take on it. So that's kind of why I like Wildfire, even though I haven't really read that many comics with him. Because by the time I became a Legion fan, he was gone. So what do you mean he was gone? Well, I, I came in during what's called the five years later period. Oh, okay. Oh, and all right. He wasn't really around until they got a bunch of clones. Um, <laughs> the, well, they were. They were the SW6 batch. Um, I'm, not, teenage I'm clones. not at all. Because <laughs> <Skeptical>. comics. <laughs> yeah. So. Interesting. Okay. Yep. Uh, next up is Wing, who was the Crimson Avengers sidekick, drawn by Gene Colan and Art Nichols. He first appeared in Detective Comics number 20. He's older than Batman. Uh, (laughs) And yet he's still a teenager. And yet he's still a teenager. Um, (laughs) He is the, uh, in that storyline we mentioned previously, Justice League numbers 100 through 102, where the JLA and the JSA team up to rescue 
the lost Seven Soldiers of Victory. One of them, you find out, has died fighting Nebula Man. And the whole hook is like, well, which one of it isn't? And it turns out that it's Wing, which was kind of cheating a little because he really kind of wasn't a member of the Legion of Superheroes. I mean, um, Legion of Superheroes. Of uh, the Seven Soldiers of Victory. And then later he was retrofitted as a member because Green Arrow and Speedy were removed post-crisis. So there's a sort of um, influx here. Um, there's not a whole lot to say about him. You get a, most of his origin here is in the is in the, the the listing because I said he just you know at a certain point he just disappeared and didn't appear again until the 1970s just to die. Uh, he basically wears the same costume as Crimson Avenger except the colors are inverted. He's mm-hmm. got yellow and with red highlights as opposed to Crimson Avenger is just the opposite. But I like the drawing. I mean I'm a fan of Gene Colan, so uh, it's 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 kind of an unusual character for him to do. It's not really a mystery character or something like that, but uh, I dig it. I, I hate it. <laughs> I hate the drawing. I really do. Now, I wish he had drawn Wing as he looked when he hung out with uh, Crimson Avenger before he wore the superhero costume. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Crimson Avenger right. was... Right, kind of looked like Zorro in the beginning. Well, I, kinda, I always thought of him as like the Shadow, but yeah, he, he was just kind of a, a guy in a... In clothes, yeah, you know, and so um, and Wing went around with him as as his chauffeur. So it wasn't until later that they got the ridiculous looking costume. So I mean, I guess you had to include the costume because that was when Wing was really a hero. But it just, I don't like it. I don't like his his torso. It the line work is sloppy. Gene Colan at this point wasn't doing his best work. Um, I would have rather seen him draw like that that private investigator or something last issue. Um, I can't Tim remember his Trench. name. Yeah, I would have rather seen him draw hmm. something like that than Wing. I think probably now. I think what you're seeing here in the origin, secret the, the secret origins comic is already up and running by this point. Up to they've been out for about a year at this point. I think most of that's probably coming from the secret origins comic. Because number one was Crimson Avenger. That's no, true. I mean not number one. Uh, number two, pretty early on. Yeah, pretty early, one of, early issue, yeah. one of the early issues. So maybe it was number five. I think one was Superman. Two is Fuck. Blue Beetle, I think. Two was Blue Beetle, I think. I think four was Firestorm. It's a, it's early days. Er, early days of that was Crimson Avenger. Anyway. Yeah, I said I, I you know I said, there's not much to say about the guy because he died. Yep. You know he disappeared for a long time only to come back and die and then he has basically really mostly not been seen since. But still pretty cool. I said I always liked all those characters. Somebody's got. Yes, and then finally we end with Witch Boy, drawn by Jack Kirby and Greg Thigston. Uh, he is a character from the demon, as you can tell by his face. He's got a real face, and he's got a kitty cat around his neck who has the same crazy-ass look on his face. Um, he's basically just a magical guy. A magical, you know, malevolent little shit. And, uh, <laughs> he's, he appeared in Justice League. He appeared in Superman the Animated Series or Justice League? He appeared in one uh, of them. He appeared in the Justice League series. He appeared in Young Justice. Oh, he was um, in Young Justice too? Okay. Yeah, he may have been in Superman. I don't remember okay. that specifically. I may be conflating Justice League and Superman. I hate this character. <laughs> A whole lot. Like, not even just like mildly like, oh, he's not my favorite. I When he shows up on screen, I mean, I I start cursing. I'm like, ah, I can't stand. I mean, his purpose is to be annoying. He's an annoying, as you said, like an annoying little shit. In my language and I, the cat and, the, and magic is just like I like magic sometimes. You know, I, I love Doctor Fate and things like that. Right. 
but it's just it, magic's whatever you want it to be, whatever the story needs. It's like it's a, it's always kind of like a too quick a fix. And I just I hate this character so much. I really <laughs> do. So I even researched. I'm like when I'm reading the entry, I was just getting madder and madder because it's my least favorite kind of entry. It's a blow by blow. Right. Then this happened. Then this happened, and I hate those entries. So I'm like I was getting madder and madder. I'm like, how many times does this damn character appear? So I looked it up. He had only appeared like seven times, like a, a few issues of The Demon, a few issues of Wonder Woman, and one issue of Detective Comics. That was it. And unfortunately, some dip-crap writers have latched onto him, and they use him all the time nowadays. He's even got his own comic right now, I think. Yeah, very Clary and the Witch Boy. Yeah, and that's kind of what he's known as, Clary and yeah, the Witch Boy. Right. So either they just forgot to include him and just call him Witch Boy here, or he went by Witch Boy in the old days. I don't know which. Because Witch Boy's kind of a silly name. Clary does work better. Now, We've probably pissed off a lot of fans or listeners today because we're very negative on this issue. I think it has more to do with the hour we're recording than the book itself. But either way, we apologize if we have offended anybody. I Really? Are we really going to offend the legion of witch boy fans? You never know. Some of them could be very passionate. I know a dude who cosplays that as him all the time. I, You know, I feel like we have given who's who more than our fair sh- more than its fair share so we're we're allowed to sometimes you know call them as we see them and this I was is, pretty I was pretty nice to Matt Savage Trail Boss last this issue, issue yeah cool. we we you and I have been very very kind to a lot of very obscure characters but so we're I think we're allowed to occasionally be like you know what these a lot of these guys are just lame <laughs> I don't right, anything wrong fair with that. Uh, on the inside cover we get the, the the sort of covering of where everybody is right on the right in the right out of the gate it says the unknown soldier died in the final issue of his own magazine so screw you <laughs> you're not gonna get him anymore <laughs> you fans of the unknown soldier go after yourselves he's dead um it mentions <laughs> it does mention vandal savage appears in flash number one as you mentioned yeah. it's interesting here in that that book is technically by the 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 use of the bold typeface called the new flash. Ah. Uh, they eventually got rid of that, of course, and it's just flash. But here, the, technically, the name of the book is the new flash. Uh, it mentions vigilante, Wayne Foundation, the weather, the weather, weather, the weather, the weather wizard whips <laughs> the up a storm in Hawkman. Does he sell seashells by the seashore? <laughs> I believe he does. Uh, red letter, yet love a red letter. Uh, it says the Whips story is told in Secret Origins number thirteen. I gotta go find that comic. I'd like to read that. That's oh yeah. Wildcat can be seen in Young All Stars. Wildfire is in Tales of the Tales of the Legion, and Wing was last seen in Secret Origins number five. Right there, we were struggling to find out what issue, and there it's mentioned. There it is. Also worth mentioning, it does say Vixen right here. It says it makes her exit from the Justice League of America yeah. to join Suicide Squad yeah. because one of the covers we're seeing here is Justice League number two sixty. It's um. Part Steel. three of four. Yep. So this is what one issue away from the end. Yep. And it's got poor Steel dying on the cover. Oh. Yep. Tough story. Tough it. story. You know, well, we got Vigilante, Hawkman, Secret Origins featuring the Challengers of the Unknown and the Golden Age Fury, Warlord, and the New Titans. Yep. All of these comics got canceled. Sad. <laughs> well, now we're up to our feedback section, which we call Who's Next? <laughs> So, are you even awake at this point? <laughs> Should we come back and record this segment another day, maybe? I think we're fine. I'm sorry. Okay. okay. No, so, <laughs> our first letter is from Van Z, who is uh, also known as Al. And he says, Great show, guys. 
Shag, thanks for filling the young all-stars some love. This was a great episode with a lot of diverse characters. Just a quick FYI to Rob. Earth 2 Clark Kent meets Earth 2 Two-Face, Harvey Kent. It's Superman Family 211, Batman's Wedding. You were correct, they are not related. And Shag was dead on regarding Superman Family 214. Ultra Humanite actually takes over Earth 2 Insect Queen's mind in that issue. Keep it up, great job as always. P.S. How do I become a nuclear sub? Is there a top secret initiation I have to go through? Uh, No, you just have to be a fan of the show and send us $20. So just once you do those two things, (laughs) you are a nuclear sub. Then I'm revoking the nuclear sub from a lot of listeners. <laughs> I'm not, I ain't got cash in my hands. Well, um, the money comes to me, so. Damn it! <laughs> I'm doing this wrong. Uh, we got a letter from Tom Panarese. I love his subject line regarding Trigon the Boring. Um, he says, I want to take a moment to come to the defense of Trigon, whom you more or less described as the most boring interdimensional conqueror ever created. <laughs> You're pretty much dead on, Tom. I did. Uh, now, I'll give you that the first time appearance of Trigon was nothing to write home about. After four issues of amazing George Perez artwork, we had Kurt Swan, and then the Battle of the Titans actually fought and defeated him for the first time. Wasn't exactly exciting and was way over way too quickly. But Trigon's second appearance in issues one through five of the Baxter series are much better. It's one of the few times where the sequel outdoes the original in terms of story quality and impact on the characters. There had been an enormous amount of buildup when it came to the return of Trigon, especially when where Raven was concerned. Yes, her perpetual whining over not wanting to use her powers because it would give her father more control over her got tired at times, but I've always thought the payoff was worth it. Raven gets possessed, Trigon arrives and takes over the world, or at least New York City, within minutes, and the Titans are forced to literally fight their inner demons and then then get so sucked into their own darkness that they kill Raven. Plus, Lilith is a complete badass in the entire story, and while they do win, their actions cause cracks in the team that would take a couple of years to finally resolve. Hmm. He had me at Lilith was a badass. So, Heard from our buddy Aaron Moss. He says, am I the only one that noticed that you were talking, when you were talking about Two-Face, you said that an original Dr. Eckhart, unless I misunderstood you, no, you're right, it was Dr. Eckhart, fixed Two-Face's face just by coincidence, Aaron Eckhart played Two-Face in The Dark Knight. Just a funny coincidence, I noticed. Interesting. Another, also, uh, an, uh, also another, am I the only one? Am I the only one that was disappointed that Typhoon wasn't the water elemental in Ostrander's Firestorm run at the end of the series? I thought Typhoon would have been great instead of creating a new elemental, Nyad. Dude, you're dead on. You're absolutely right. I've thought about that many times. Of Why didn't they just use Typhoon? He was already in the series. I mean, maybe it would have been too much to have two Firestorm characters be elementals. I don't know. But you get Red Tornado. You know, or maybe he just wanted to do more creative stuff with Nyad. I don't know. But Typhoon would have been a perfect elemental. You know, it would have been really good. Um, then there's some nonsense. I think he actually fell on his keyboard because he typed <laughs> something here about liking Jericho. I don't know. Anyway, and then he says, also a final question. During her Who's Who theme song, who is mentioned between Lightning Lass and Phantom Stranger? I listened to the song. It's Hippolyta. Hippolyta, yeah. But they pronounce it Hippolyta. Or something yeah. like that. And so that's what it is. It's, it's, it's Apolita. So yeah. there you go. Uh, we got a message from SK Duke 52 He says, If so, that is your real name. Yeah. Hey, he writes, hey, fellow nerds. Just wanted to say they thoroughly enjoy the show. I just started listening about a week ago. Listened to probably 20 episodes of show starting from the beginning. Trying to catch up on everything you guys have put out because it's fantastic listening. Makes the long 10-hour days of welding go by a lot faster. 10 hours of welding. Keep up the good work. Oh, and I basically created an, a Tumblr just to follow you guys. My name is Abin Syrup. 
uh, on there and loving the Who's Who posts. Fan of Flame and Ride the Wave and Charge the Ring for the core. I love Abin Syrup. That is just the greatest. That is hilarious. Now, it kind of scares me because we haven't heard from him in a, like a couple of weeks. since Because he, he sent a bunch of emails rapid fire and then we didn't hear from him. I'm a little worried like maybe he welded his hand shut or something because he was like listening to the show. So I, I hope he's okay. So. <laughs> heard from Michael CPA. He said, uh, I got caught up on the guys who's who podcast a few months ago. It's been a blast to drag out the old issues and follow along. Love the guys insight and humor. By the way, Michael, that was uh, specifically a in iTunes review. So thank you for that, Michael. We really oh, yeah. appreciate yeah. that. So heard from our buddy, Bradley Null. Bradley Null has been a big supporter of the who's who podcast guys. He's all over the place too. He, he's been sending us emails. He's been promoting on Facebook and actually on Instagram. He's been using our hashtag FW podcast. So special thanks to Bradley Null. And if any of the rest of you would remember to use that hashtag, you might get a special thanks to him. Uh, no, I'm kidding. A bunch of you do use it on Twitter and stuff, but it, it, he's about the only one using it on Instagram, so it just caught my attention. So, yes, those of you who use it, it's very much appreciated. Forgive my sarcasm. It's like 18 o'clock in the morning. So um, He says, this is just a quick note to say thank you for the incredible podcast. I started listening to the Fire and Water podcast one episode before the first Who's Who. And then he says, uh, let me give an exercise double sp- Double size special thanks for Who's Who. I own the entire first run, bought them off the racks at the comic store, uh, Comics Castle in Vic- Victorville, California, when it opened. When I, listened to, when I listened to what was, for me, the second episode, I stopped it halfway so I could get the book out and read along. I now do that for every Who's Who episode. I post to Instagram my favorite pictures as I do. It's not like the casual listening I do for other podcasts. This is no longer something I can do while driving or working. It's full-blown, interactive form of entertainment. I've had some of my brightest moments in an otherwise dark year while listening to Who's Who. Thanks again for this show in particular. Wow, that's very Very touching. nice, yes. And he says his lady, uh, whose name is River, by the way, my lady River doesn't listen to podcasts unless I have them playing in the background. However, she can sing slash recite the Who's Who theme, including the Mr. Mitzelplix bit perfectly. And uh, he put this funny thing on uh, Instagram where he says, Trigon was my first dark side stand-in. No, really. I read Teen Tartans before I read New Gods. Didn't know who copied who. I defended Trigon and got schooled for the first time by a teen fan. I was in junior high, so I was allowed to be stupid. Heard from our buddy Siskoid. Uh, he covered, uh, you know, he does those Who's This posts over on Siskoid's blog at Geekery. He did one on Tim Trench, and he just talks here about uh, how Tim Trench uh, was more than what we kind of gave him credit for. He was a backup in the Wonder Woman strip and kind of was his own character. So he's a pretty cool guy and had sort of a Sam Spade sort of style. Uh, he also mentions Matt Savage Trail Boss. He says, This is my next Who's This victim. He appeared in the last few issues of Western Comics and apparently killed the series. I want to see how. I don't think you're going to learn that. I think he's those comics back then were just canceled with nary a thought. You know, not nary a thought, but like no, no good vibes or nothing. It was just all of a sudden the book's just not on the stands anymore. So I bet Matt Savage did nothing special in that final issue. It's just another story. And then, oh hey, there's no no, no new issue of Western comics for me to buy. I guess I'll just I don't know get porn or something. Because <laughs> that's how that worked. Yeah. Uh, he did 50s the- porn. So that's okay. God. He did uh, some Who's who's This entries on TNT and Dan, Dan the Dynamite, Tommy Tomorrow. Uh, he did, who else? Uh, Matt Savage and The Turtle. Right. Heard from our buddy Ange. He said uh, on TNT and Tsunami, he said, like Shag, I also like the idea of Young All-Stars more than the comic itself. 
As said, the initial covers by Brian Murray, that's the name I couldn't come up with last issue uh, episode, thank you. Brian Murray did those covers, uh, and internal art by Michael Bear was very good. And I actually liked the idea of Iron Monroe, a placeholder for the Earth 2 Superman, but overall the title fell short. I think that's pretty accurate. About the character of Tyr, or Tyre, whichever way you want to see it, say it, he's one of the Legion of Supervillains in the initial storyline. But more importantly, in the early book, a group of Legionnaires destroy a Sun Eater. A Sun Eater being made to engulf and destroy Tyr's war, war world of Tyraz. Later, a controller gets the same Legionnaires to destroy Tyraz. Man, Tyr, rough going. He points out that Tommy Tomorrow, uh, as several people did, was a, a lead character in the Chaken Garcia Lopez. Do you, just say, do you just say his name if we just say his last name? No, you always have to do the whole thing. The whole thing, okay. Praise be his name. Praise uh, in their Twilight miniseries. And he asked me if I've read it yet. <sighs> I haven't. It's it's now moved from my office to next to the bed. And it's staring at me every morning when I wake up. It's still I'm under just, those sad sack comics. I, it's, well, it's behind a back issue magazine right now with a Blue Devil article. So, <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm referenced in, by the way, quite a bit. Very so. nice. Joe X wrote in, he said, uh, Ultra Boy was probably the best choice for the lead spot last issue, but it was a case could be made for either Uncle Sam or Two-Face. Actually, Harvey should have been centered so the spine fold could split his face. Totally agree. That would have been awesome if they had put him right on the fold. That would have been brilliant. That's a fun idea, yeah. Yep. Uh, he pointed out also that Brian Murray drew, drew those young All-Stars covers, but then he says he then went to Image to draw Supreme where his deadline issues were welcomed. <laughs> if you think that went through, that's very funny. So, uh, most of the classic Flash villains were formed after Barry died with various levels of success. Then Jeff Johns happened. That's also a very fair statement about Flash villains. Um, Joe's got some real insightful stuff this time around. And I made a mistake. I kept saying Megaton Man. Um, right, last which is episode. not the right. I knew that was wrong, and for some reason, I just didn't. It didn't connect it to correct you on it because Megaton Man was Don Simpson's character. Exactly. Um, and that's a humor comic. That's not even a straight superhero. It's a, it's a humor superhero book. Yep. And what what was Larson's then? What was I getting wrong? I think it was Megaton. It's just Megaton. I oh, think, just Megaton. Right? That's right. what it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, heard from Wolfgang Hartz. He says, Shari Shag, but I will always like Cyanide. I think she's very sexy in that her whip is badass. I'm also going to defend Looker from the Outsiders and the Council from Supergirl because I just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> <laughs> It's a cute, evil Heath Ledger-ish laugh. You know what, Wolfgang? I hope you and um, Philemon enjoy your quarantine ship floating out in the ocean <laughs> together. Is, this is the same guy that vehemently defended the Star Wars prequels or a Star Wars episode. So Wolfgang obviously has some deep-seated issues. He's oh, don't start that again. You know what? <laughs> he has every right to like the Star Wars prequels. There is no excuse for defending Cyanide. <laughs> Maybe she and uh, the Whip can have a whip-off or something like that. But I like the web. Um, <laughs> uh, we got a, a message from Earth 2. Chris, yep, Fred Ray, famous for penciling that awesome Golden Age Superman cover with the eagle on his arm, was the originator of Tomahawk and drew him for years. He even drew the character in that fantastic history of the DCU gatefold from the graffiti hardcover edition of that book. Wonder why he didn't draw him here. That's a good question. I mean, he was <laughs> around, so I don't know. Um, and he also mentions... Man, Mr. Legion hater Rob is really schooling Shag on his Legion lore this episode. <laughs> I think the Legion of Superbloggers Constitution may call for an immediate dismissal, or at least a day of scrubbing the men's rooms with a toothbrush. Ugh, I don't. <laughs> you haven't seen little Russell Burbage use the restroom yet. I don't want to do that. That's disgusting. 
uh, heard from Jeff R. He always gives us our egregious omission of the month, and he points out that they're really scraping the bottom of the barrel here on these last few issues. You know, as we said, they're sort of drawing it out. So he said he's having a hard time coming up with people because they're including just about everybody. <laughs> but he said his egregious omission was Tornado Tyrant, you know, who's a major – he put he said his words, major villain of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Not my words. Anyway, I I would argue with Jeff and say, well, if you're going to include Tornado Tyrant, shouldn't it be like a split entry for Tornado Champion and Tornado Tyrant? Shouldn't they be in there together? I think I actually think I agree. I think the Tornado Tyrant deserved a listing, and I agree with you that yeah, they could have split it and done both. But I, you know, considering JLA 192, 193, and that they were involved so heavily in Red Tornado's origin, I I, I agree. I agree. They should have been in there. So should it have been one of those like? Two characters on the same page, or should it yes. be one entry listing both? No, no, no. I'd say two entries, like they did Black Canary one and two. Oh, so it's two entries in the same together. Yes. Okay, not like a split the page down the middle and be one half. No, one half. no, okay. no, no, no. Tornado, gotcha. right. tornado champion, tornado time. And then he, he said something here I thought was pretty funny. He said, DC had a major missed opportunity at the turn of the century. The first was the lack of a serious Armageddon 2001 follow up when it was actually 2001. That would have been smart. Uh, but the one I missed was, um, but the one I missed more was the lack of any 2000 committee story in 1999 or 2000. I imagine they're all still out there waiting on the definitive report from the renaming and rescheduling subcommittee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he cracks me up. He's so funny. Um, and we should mention, by the way, we're cherry picking stuff. I mean, folks have written us huge, huge, massive things, either you know on emails or comments on the blog and whatever. So we're just reading snippets. If you didn't realize that, I just want to make sure that's yeah, clear. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, think they, they know, know now. that by now. Twenty five episodes, episode, they probably figured out. But you know, I'm feeling all expl- explanatory. Uh, we heard from Anthony Durso, the Toy Room, uh, about Titano, uh, the giant uh, chimpanzee. He says there's a great bit. <laughs> oh. Uh, I was commenting last episode about how in the Titano injury, it just very casually off the cuff goes, oh, Superman threw him back into prehistoric times. As if to be like, <laughs> well, what? And I was saying that was just a perfect example of crazy Silver Age stuff. So his follow-up is, there was a great bit in an old Silver Age Superman story where Superman was flying back to the past in order to get an accurate measurement of Titano's height for a story Clark Kent is doing. While there, he's struck by kryptonite rays from Titano's eyes and wound up landing in Al Capone's era where he recuperated. Superman 142. Lovely. <laughs> Oh, the Silver Age. Yep, because comics. Uh, regarding Tomahawk and Dan Hunter, I still have issues with Tomahawk due to the bait and switch. Superman salutes the Bicentennial. Limited Collector's Edition number C-47. Yeah, that's that's the one with the Superman cover, and then on the insides, on the splash page, and Superman's like, thank you for buying my Bicentennial comic. Now enjoy these Tomahawk reprints. <laughs> 60 pages of boring Tomahawk stuff. You guys are so bitter about that. I hear about it all it the was, time. It was, it was some, it's, well, it really is a bait and switch because it's got this great Superman cover, and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, by the way, you know, try and stay away for these 60 pi- – I, I just did the same joke. Uh, but, yeah, that – uh, It's almost 40 years old, though, at this point. <laughs> I mean, you write about this in your diary at least once a week. It's crazy, <laughs> man. You've got to move on. Some wounds just don't heal, you know. I never got the dollar back. No, that's a great book because it has the – the vice president on the the president's on the back cover, and that's how I learned about the president. Was, was oh, back see? There was benefit to it. I bet Absolutely. you Lord Schilling's in it. That's probably awesome. So. I couldn't even tell you. I've, I I <laughs> I have every treasure, and I couldn't tell you whether he's in that book or not. 
uh, he wrote in, he says, I think a companion podcast about the history of the DC Universe, uh, that Prestige 2 issue miniseries, is in order before you guys tackle Who's Who Updates. Um, what do you think, Rob? Uh, maybe. I, I think maybe it would be proper to do it as an episode of Fire and Water, since it's not technically a Who's Who book. Um, That's reasonable. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't mind covering it. I mean, I don't know how we can fit in all the history that's jammed into those two issues. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it would be fun. That was a fun book. I mean, it's mostly just a picture book. So I Pretty just, much, uh, yeah. us describing how nice George Perez's artwork is, I don't know how much edification I was going to get from that. But uh, people get edification from this show, and I wouldn't bet on that. So who knows? Well, I mean, we could probably pick out the continuity issues where we go, oh, well, here's something that was changed in continuity here, and this was changed here. That, that oh, yeah. could be fun. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though. Um, I'm going to ask some help from the listeners, though, because I want to say, like, you know, I've got the original issues, but there was a book that was published. It was like a companion book or something like that. It was. It came with, like, I don't know, like a either Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know, absolute edition, or maybe it's a history that you see universe absolute edition. It came somewhere and it had a bunch of backup history on either crisis or history of the DC universe. Could someone write into the show and tell me where to find that information? That would be helpful. Cause I feel like we, we need to do a little research before we jump into this. So, but yeah, I think we should do it as a fire and water episode or two, and we should do it probably before we, you know, really d- dive deep at least into the updates. That seems very reasonable. It's a good suggestion. Yeah. I think we've heard that from a few people, so that'd be nice. Okay. Yeah. Uh, regarding Ultra the Multi-Alien, love, love, love the absurdity of this character. Why isn't he headlining a digital version of Mystery in Space I'll Never Know? Eventually I'll figure out a way how to make a custom Mego of this guy. Anthony makes the most beautiful custom Mego dolls and boxes. Uh, so, Anthony, if you ever do make a Ultra the Multi-Alien custom Mego, I will buy it. Because be, be careful. It could be a pretty expensive custom, We'll work out a trade or something like that. I'll, I'll trade my Superman Salute's Bicentennial Treasury or something. Uh, but, <laughs> we'll dedicate an episode of the podcast. There you go. But it does beautiful – Anthony does beautiful, beautiful work. I mean just just the boxes are just crazy ornate. And like he does like double boxes where he could fit two dolls and he did like a Superman versus Muhammad Ali double box and, and – it's oh, crazy. Cool. I don't know how he does it. It's just gorgeous stuff. I see it on his Facebook page all the time. So I would love a Ultra the Multi-Alien Mego doll. That would just make oh, – that would be so cool. He, he puts them on Instagram too, by the way. So oh, just check it out. Man. I could like just that chicken leg. That would be awesome. <laughs> I want to know how he's going to do the electricity leg. Anyway, so <laughs> it's going to zap you every time you touch it. God damn. <laughs> anyway, uh, heard from our buddy Kyle Benning, who's also part of the Legion of Super Vloggers. He says, this issue is a perfect example of why Who's Who series is so great. Not a whole lot of heavy-hitting A-listers in this issue, but a whole lot of characters that have at least some point in capacity of being crucial member of the DCU. Whether that was a string... Wait. Whether that was in a string of out-there sci-fi explorer of space during the Silver Age, a time travel, or a colonial frontiersman that occasionally impacted or played a... F- a fiction part in an otherwise very real moment of American history. This issue may not have, have any superstars that you can go to your comic shop and pull a new issue off the stands from, but it has a lot of characters who at some point, sometime, in some point, uh, and in some fashion did matter to what DC was publishing. Hmm. That's a good point. The same sort of thing for this episode, I would say. Um, might be a few more mainstays in this issue than the last one, but still, it's uh, very, very relevant. It makes some good points about how... Um, 
You know, oh, here we go. Was, the, the funny thing about reviewing this thir- series is 30 years later, there's a lot of characters that were hot at the time, and reading those stories within a five to ten year span that they came out, uh, it gives us a context that Trigon would have been a hot character at the time. And he's right. Trigon was a hot character at the time, and so by the time we get around to it, he's sort of like a know-nothing. Um, let's see what else he says. And many of the creators that worked on Who's Who in the 80s would have been in their late 20s or to mid-40s and sticking in characters that their generation grew up reading that may have had a Trigon-like status at one point but fallen by the wayside ever since. While this issue definitely seems to have the filler vibe – he said vibe um, – I wonder how many of those characters – wait a minute – Vibe did not get an entry in Who's Who. No, I guess you're right. Holy crap. Wow, I never thought about that, but you're right, he didn't. How he w- wrong is that? He would have, yeah. Oh, jeez. All these years, I mean, he, it never occurred to me before. I think he died the issue of Justice League, like, the month before this came out. Two months. Was it two, two months? Okay. Two, he, died, he, no, he died number 258. Okay. But man, yeah, you're right. Steel got one, Gypsy got one, and Vixen got one. Dang. I can't believe I've never noticed that. He got one in the update. Did he? Yeah. Maybe it was a, you know, maybe it was an oversight because they had to fit in the, you know, the Warlock of Ease. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm sorry. That just totally took me off tangent. I'll go wow. right back to this. Okay. So you said the issue had a filler vibe. I wonder how many of these characters that only had a handful of appearances really hit home and resonated with the Who's Who staff back when they were young and really stuck with them ever since, resulting in their inclusion in the series, despite seeming obscure to younger readers when Who's Who was hitting the stands in the mid-1980s. It's absolutely true. I mean, if Rob and I were to sit down and do a modern-day, you know, Who's Who, I mean, it wouldn't apply to the New 52, but we'd be throwing in characters that were relevant to us. Characters we cared about when we were young. So Rob would be throwing in pieces of crap like Ultra. Um, <gasps> not the multi... No, 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 no. Not the multi-alien. Ultra. Oh, oh, that, yeah, that, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't knocking the multi-alien. I'm not, I'm not a fool. I'd like to survive the God, night. Um, you know, I'd be throwing in characters like Bolt. You know, these characters that are meaningless to modern-day readers. So, um, I would yeah. literally have had Sugar and Spike at the top of my list. <laughs> literally, would they'd be the first one. Probably that's just a make up for a wrong. By the way, Kyle Benning, um, did I already say it? He, that he's hosting a podcast on? Uh, no, I don't think I did. No, uh, he's hosting a podcast called uh, Giant si- Wait, King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. So you can find that. Uh, check that out. So that was Kyle Benning comments. All right, uh, from Philemon, he says you have the worst timing. I'm currently in the <laughs> middle of the Caribbean Ocean on a cruise that costs entirely too much. Humble brag. <laughs> And now it's costing even more to get the internet access to listen to this podcast and write this comment. So I'm going to post the most expensive comment in the history of Who's Who, the definitive podcast the DC Universe. I want to start it out with, I want to start it out right. Jericho rocks. <laughs> and he goes on to say, what I will say is that Shag is absolutely right about Trigon. Sorry. What I mean to say is that Shag is absolutely right about getting an angry message from me about his Trigon comments. <laughs> And then he goes on to say the Titans' innate goodness allowed him, them to overcome Trigon's machinations in the classic Wolfen Perez-style story about the power of righteousness. I lost my junk laughing about Ooh, his whoa. whole comment. It was just hilarious. And then I went on to say that uh, the, the internet time he had to pay for, it probably cost him more than buying like a near-mint 9.8 CGC-graded <laughs> copy of Jericho's first appearance. So, <laughs> ha-ha on you. <laughs> Make sure you slab that sucker. Right, right. Now, I tell you, I, I think uh, Wolfgang Hartz is probably out of that boat with him on the middle of the ocean, the only Jericho fans left. So, 
Aaron Moss might be just paddling along in the dinghy behind him. You know, I like Jericho too. Um, <laughs> we're gonna get hate mail. Uh, we heard from Zoom Yukinori. Said speaking of logos taken from covers, we talked a lot about the top logo last episode because we said it was you know it was very goo's moving around. There's a lot of motion lines to it and stuff. We thought it looked cool. Uh, he says the top's logo is from the ahem, top of the cover of the Flash number three hundred three shag, which was your first Flash story <laughs> that I talked about in the episode. <laughs> Whoops! No wonder I liked it so much. Uh, then he said, backtracking to Tommy Tomorrow, they changed history of Commandy being Tommy Tomorrow was first revealed in Crisis number 12, not in the history of the DC Universe. That's anymore. right. That's so right. we don't need to read history of the DC Universe anymore. We can stop, right? Oof. Okay. Thank God. <laughs> we also, we were trying to figure out what the posty note on the Toy Man's uh, shelf said last time, and he says, this will drive the big S nuts, is what's on the posty note. And apparently, Michael Bailey has that proof for us. So. Or from Mark Sweeney, he says, Ultra Boy fell in love with his costume before the character. His insignia was eventually re revealed to be the emblem for Joe's Rimborian gang, the Emerald Dragons. He even sported a tattoo of the dragon. The five years later, and uh, oh, and five years later, and adopted a new Emerald Dragon costume identity at the tail end of that run. Confession, I'm in the vast minority of Legion fans here, but I love that Emerald Dragon costume on Joe. Mark, you're in less than a minority. You're a man unto yourself. <laughs> that era of Legion where they all took on second identities like Virus and all that stuff, I wanted to love it, man. I really did. And I even tried for a little while. I was like, oh, this is interesting. No, it's that month after month, it's not. Um, I tried. And it's uh, – it. power to you. Glad you like it, though. Find your joy, brother. I'm, I don't have to be right, although I am. Um, but find what you find what you love. That's what's important. <laughs> Uh, we, got, we got an email from Martin Gray. He said, hello, what is this then? This is the first <laughs> I've heard of the contents of Superman Salutes the Bicentennial. Thanks, Al. Thanks, Anthony. What the heck is going on there? DG must have had something else planned originally. Surely. I mean, Tomahawk? Were there reports of thousands of disappointed readers storming the shops to return copies? Wait, they didn't. They didn't send the Superman salutes the bicentennial over to England. How crazy! I know. Why didn't they do I that? I believe just to kind of rub it in a little. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then he says, um, "And well done to Anthony linking Trigon with trigonometry, bringing forth a whole <laughs> new level of evil." <laughs> so is he not really in England? Because uh, he he said something about like he's not in England. I didn't fully understand that because as far as I know, he's in England. Yeah, I mean, and there's only one city over there, right? London. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Done. Uh, we heard from our buddy. <laughs> He's going to get so pissed. I love being an American and not having to know anything else about any other countries. And only speak one language. Yeah. We're such a good people. <laughs> oh, we are horrible. Hey, what do, you, what do you call someone that speaks two languages? <laughs> what? Bilingual. What do you call someone that speaks three languages? Nah. Trilingual. What do you call someone that speaks one language? <laughs> American. Okay, all right. We're, we're, we're horrible. The rest of the world deserves to hate us. Um, heard from Darren and Ruth Sutherland. They said, uh, if I remember correctly, not only was a two-faced script written for the Batman TV series, but a little-known actor named Clint Eastwood had been cast to play him. That's insane. However, before production started, ABC pulled the script saying that two-faced character was not appropriate for a family show. I never heard the Clint Eastwood part of it. I mean, obviously now everyone knows about the Two-Face thing because they just adapted it into the comic book, but I never heard of it. That's, yeah. that's insane. That's just that's insane. Wild. Oh, my God. 
Uh, we got a message from Diablo Frank. Uh, many bullet points, but he starts off with, I applaud Shag's courage in taking the difficult and popular stance by recommending that Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I did say I'd get a nasty comment from him, from him specifically. For Especially choosing. on the heels of joining Rob for a hard-hitting Star Wars episode. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to your controversial explorations of the Beatles, cheeseburgers, and a literal <laughs> fire and water podcast discussing the elemental forces. You can't even read this. You want me to do it? Yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to your controversial exploration. <laughs> you know, I listened recently to our episode where we covered the DC samplers, and we're getting that punchy. Um, looking forward to your <laughs> stop it. You need to mute or something. I can't even hear myself over your laughter. <sighs> looking forward to your controversial explorations of the Beatles, cheeseburgers, and our literal fire and water podcast discussing the elemental forces, positive impact on earth and life. I hope you guys get sponsored by deep discount DVD where listeners can save up to 40% on mash season one and doctor who the complete Paul McGann collection with offer code ground fruit. Allow me. <laughs> <laughs> like low-hanging fruit. That's funny. Allow me to offer a recommendation to Shag. 2013, the year everyone else finished Breaking Bad while consoling themselves that the Game of Thrones had years left to go in its run. <laughs> oh, All God. because I picked Dark Knight Returns <laughs> as my pick. Oh, God. He's an asshole. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay. Uh, he comes back with comment. I don't even know if this is letter I or it's if it's some, I, yeah. like yeah. hieroglyphic. Um, he says, T.O. Morrow invented Red Tornado. So he's easily one of the worst <laughs> menaces to plague the Justice League. The entry really sells the uninteresting portly scientist with zero winks on eHarmony. Can someone please skip buying volume XXIV, which is 24, brand new off the stand just one time and instead set the Wayback Machine to no later than the spring of 1968 in order to stab T.O. Morrow in the brain through his <laughs> ocular cavity with one of those pens in his pocket protector? Uh, I don't think he likes the character. I don't think so. Uh, point Q. I have to wonder if Peter Laird wasn't tapped to draw Turtle Man because the second bill on TMNT, the editor assumed he was the main artist on that book. Ridiculous says Turtle is in an issue featuring Top. He looks viable by comparison. <laughs> Point W. <laughs> Ultra is exactly the type of character that gets your nerd senses tingling with his extraordinary power levels and unique place in the multiple earthery. But an execution is such a tool that it kills your interest. He is the only character so awful that getting drafted in a Maximus backstory was an upgrade. <laughs> the issue of Justice League Quarterly became hot uh, due to an early Joseph Michael Linsner cover. <laughs> I didn't remember that part of it. No, I don't remember that either. Subpoint six, paragraph 42. Uh, DC's going to take at least half as much of my money during convergence as I've spent on the whole new 52. I'm irritated by that, but I still care enough about the prior incarnations of DC properties to support this love letter. You know, that's an interesting question. Are you picking up convergence? Any uh, or any of the miniseries, the 40 two issue miniseries that are coming? I'll out? definitely get the Aquaman one. Is there an Aquaman? I haven't read this list. So yeah. there's an Aquaman one? Yeah. Is Hook with a Hand Aquaman? Uh, from what I've seen, yeah. Written by Tony Bedard, who wrote Emperor Aquaman. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've, I've, I kind of told and myself maybe if they do a Justice League one, maybe they are doing they are doing a Justice League. Okay. One. They're doing a Justice League Detroit one, uh, and it's okay. uh, but the 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 lead character is Elongated Man. Hmm. Okay. So I may have to get that. I was kind of thinking no, but I may have to. Hmm. 
Uh, we heard from David Ace Gutierrez. He says, uh, I, I, I thought Rob had checked out last time. And I accused him of just putting a robot on in this place. And he says, Robo Rob is just adorable. Every show needs a tweaky. Bitty, bitty, bitty. Thanks, David. <laughs> or from Mike LaCroix. And he said, Shag, two faces on the spine. Well, unfortunately, Mike, he wasn't. He, he should have been. Uh, he, he was close, close. It looks a little bit like it, but after upon a secondary examination, he is not on the spine of the book. He should have been. Uh, Andrew uh, Slinkard chimed in, said he still owns the majority of these issues. Andrew Bias, or Aaron Bias, I'm sorry. Aaron Bias sent me a private message, but a fair warning, folks. You send me a private message, it is fair game for the show. And he wrote, what's with the cowboy hate? <laughs> so I guess we were a little too hard on the cowboys last time. Were we? I didn't think so. We consider how much we talk about Johnny Thunder. We like wax his car left and right. I bitched about the Trigger Twins and Matt and Matt Savage. I remember oh, specifically true, doing yeah. that. So. Trailball. Uh, my buddy Ravenface sent me a link to. Um, do you remember when the JSA headquarters was drawn by Todd McFarlane? Yeah. And that piece went up for sale hmm. on uh, Heritage Auctions. Interesting. I, I couldn't see the final price. I don't see what it, I couldn't see what it went for. It wouldn't let me log in. Stupid thing. But um, it's just, it's also interesting to see like his handwritten notes on it. Because he's, like, being really nice. He's like, Mr. Ween, would you please, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wow, this is back when Todd was nice. <laughs> that, yeah, that didn't last. Didn't even call him Len. So, uh, our buddy Luke Dobb gave us a nice shout-out on Twitter. Thank you. Michael Bailey live-tweeted us last time. And he commented that I was hung up on people's weight in last month's Who's Who. And you know what? I, I, I did go back and listen to last month's episode just to kind of get myself psyched up for this one. He's dead on. Like, I was really hyper-focused on people's weight last time. But that's simply because you had characters like Tokamak, who was supposed to be drawn large, but wasn't. Um, there were some other characters that either were large, oh, like the Tweedledee, Tweedledum, things like that. So, um, anyway. And then they we got called out uh, by a few different people for not mentioning that Dan the Dynamite eventually had his brain switched with Hitler. Now, that was not in continuity. That was in the Golden Age miniseries. Uh, but that's a huge spoiler. So um, that was a great series. God, it was good. That was James Ro- early James Robinson stuff. Yeah, that was good that, stuff. Was that before Starman? It probably was. I don't know. It was really good though. Paul Smith the, art, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. And then we got um, over on Facebook. We got something like sixty or seventy likes between our two pages. Thank you for that, folks. Very that's nice. tremendous. Over on Google+, Instagram, and Tumblr, we got like about 20 or so or more on each one of those social medias. Thank you so much. You guys are the total bomb. Appreciate it. Then there's some folks who actually went out of their way to promote us themselves on, on their social media, which I appreciate. I'm just going to call them out real quick. Luke Giaconetti, Alexander Osias, Randall, Randy Caldwell, the Captain Adam Facebook page, Cisco's Blog of Geekery, Carlos Rodriguez, Keith G. Baker, Mr. Perturbed, Paul Loves Comics, Go Rogues, Comics Grump, Jordan Hass, Cats Decimal, Kai Leo 71, and Dr. D, I'm sorry, Diet Dr. K, or 1138 Reference. I think that's funny. 1138 Reference, you get that? It's a Star I, Wars thing. I did get that. I don't know what the DT Dr. K is. Well, I, I think that's his name, and then like 1138 is his like code handle. Okay. THX I, did, I, did yeah. I thought the 1138 Reference was hilarious. That's okay. a great name. So. All right. And finally, uh, our buddy Ange, just because he likes pouring salt in my wounds, he tweeted us a picture of the Lieutenant Marvels from a recent issue of Multiversity. That was a good comic, so if they're, if that's how they're going to look, that's fine with me. Because I, I thought that was drawn by Cameron Stewart. It was awesome. Do they actually call him Fat Marvel? No, they don't. No they, just, no, they just call him the Lieutenant Marvels. That's it. See, I can deal with that. Right. It's the whole fat, tall, and... Um, Hillbilly. Almost, 
hillbilly. God. <laughs> uh, and you wonder why I complain about this stuff. <laughs> All right. That is that, my friends. That is Who's Who in the can. Uh, issue uh. 20, 25. The next one. First of all, we're going to be a lot nicer next time. We're going to, I'm going to make sure of it. Well, we got some real marquee characters next time. We have Wonder Woman and Wonder Girl. Who else? Well, I guess, Wonder well, I guess Woman. We'll I mean, yeah, how much more do you need, really? <laughs> so we, we will get to that next month, folks. And it, again, last issue of the original series. Then we'll do some cleanup with, again, the ambush bug and some articles. And we may even have an interview. I don't know. We'll see. If that comes together or not, and um, then we'll blaze on ahead. We'll start. We'll do some maybe history of the DC universe, and we'll go into update eighty-seven. We'll get booster gold, baby, and vibe so, finally. Thank goodness, because I'm losing sleep over it. Oh, it's a Luke McConnell drawing of vibe, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I just remembered it. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. right. Okay. All right, folks. Um, you can find my good friend Rob over at AquamanShrine.net. You can find him on the social medias at Aquaman Shrine on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. You can find me at FirestormFan.com. Using that same handle, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and Instagram. Rob, where, what's the email address for the show? FireWaterPodcast at Comcast.net. Yep, and what's the Tumblr address where they can find 10 to 15 images from this issue of Who's Who? FireAndWaterPodcast.tumblr.com. There we go. Remember, use the hashtag pound fw podcast please and until next time who's Who's next next? aquaman and superman animal man and plastic man firestorm and nuclear man that one guy what guy mr pretzel mr lipstick mr mitzelfuzzle mr mitzi's pitlick yeah him he's also part of the dc who's who oh man we forgot slipknot